Welcome back to We Want More, the Harry Potter and Methods of Rationality Analysis podcast. I'm Stephen Zuber. I'm Brian Deacon. Hi, everybody. Hey, everybody. Hi. We're doing that thing where we didn't record on our usual day, so we're recording five days after our usual day, which makes it seem like it's been a long time. So we've got to warm up the mic by talking about something inconsequential. And I've got the and we topic. Both, and we both sound really tired. I know, right? I'm drinking quadruple so. calf caffeine tea this morning. Even though I slept pretty good, I just haven't had it in a while, and I felt like having jitters today, I guess. So, <laughs> uh, But the fun piece of trivia that everyone needs to know about is Brian happens to be an excellent baker, and Rachel had one of your cookies this morning, <laughs> so she said it was amazing. I know, right? So what, what was your I'm, I'm the kind of I'm the, I'm the kind of humble baker that just says, oh, no, no, they're, they're really amazing. What's my, oh, yes. How did I make chocolate chip cookies? Like, complicated. There's like brown butter and coconut oil and uh, coconut and pecans and dark chocolate chips and oatmeal. It's almost not a chocolate chip cookie anymore. But yeah, pretty badass, huh? Yeah, it was this hybrid badass machination yeah. of five other kinds of yes. cookies and definitely... Uh, top tier so actually and and i had one of them for breakfast so nice (laughs) along with the leftover pizza perfect that's what we had basically (laughs) um yes i've got to think uh if anyone doesn't watch great british baking show they should and this is definitely a showstopper cookie so uh, except those fuckers don't know how to make a cookie they don't even know what to call it yeah well they also like and they're obsessed with all the cookies being crisp and complicated like with decorations and whatever this this doesn't hide behind decorations and icing. Exactly. This is just a dope ass cookie. Exactly. Well, I'm still jealous. Right. I'm still jealous that I'm not as good looking as Paul Hollywood. So <laughs> that guy, he's got Pierce Brosnan eyes, man. I know. Right? Well, this, let's this see. Stirring in my loins. Exactly. My baking loins. Oh, that actually finally gets us into the uh, into a segue for the beginning of the chapters. So. And you're welcome. Yep. There we go. Thank you for for lining me up there. So the chapter 100, Precautionary Measures, part one. and Wherein we learn that Quirrell is not a vegan. Yep, he's not a vegan. Actually, I got a fun anecdote about that when we get to that point. Um, But the sex tie-in comes in because Phil's just talking about the well-oiled chains and... (laughs) <laughs> oh, you know, I'd, I'd actually forgotten when you put that in the notes, I'm like, oh, yeah, I think that was the part that I like listened to. And I don't know, maybe like listening to that part doesn't register as much as like reading it or whatever. But I'm like, oh, yeah, was she getting that was all like innuendo-ish. Yeah. And the the voice actress for Tracy, I think it was a great voice, but the recording studio setup wasn't ideal. So there's a bit of an echo and it's hard to get all the mm. lines, but um, she, she did a good job anyway. But anyway, so it opens up. They are in detention, which if you remember from... Oh, you know what? It's been a while since we did our last episode. So, like, when we last left our heroes, uh, or when we last left our Voldemorts, um, <laughs> I think it was the Alleged one where... Voldemorts. Right. Voldemorts just left and right. Um, oh, yeah. So, this was where, uh, yeah, the students of Hogwarts aligned themselves against whatever yes. force of evil is happening. And so, we lead Before it from that straight into detention, which feels like a thing that shouldn't happen anymore. But I guess it is still a school, so... And, and it's this still exactly... as bad an idea in this book as it was in the originals. Right. If anything, it's Marching worse, children out in the middle of the night in the kids. dangerous forest. Exactly. Well, yeah. that was also true back then. And, and a bad idea for the same exact reasons. Did someone die in the first Harry Potter book? No. Uh, in the Forbidden... No, but they were like, like basically this whole same scene of like, you know, stomping around and, you know, shit's killing unicorns and like... It was oh, yeah, totally. Years. I'm just saying it's a worse idea in this book because someone's already been killed. But... Way I can't remember. 
No, no one died. I think mm-hmm. Cedric was the first student to die in uh, mm-hmm. fourth book. Anyway, Filch is there, and he's just stoked on the fact that he gets to lead some students into the certain jaws of doom. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> and a, as he put it, abusive it's, time lord that he is. Right, and it's Filch, and uh, then Draco and Tracy Davis, some older Slytherin girl, and then some older Slytherin boy who's just transferred from Durmstrang for the year. As you put him, Pointer Von Redshirt. <laughs> yeah, Peter Von Redshirt. What was it? Like Yuri or something was his actual something name. Like but that. yeah, he's just some like random Eastern. <laughs> Not just like random Eastern, Europe- Eastern European, but like non-specifically Eastern European. Right. And he's, so he's just, you know, they, they've, those... got their, they've got their dick measuring thing about, oh, discipline in Durmstrang is way more intense. In Durmstrang, they hang you upside down by your toes. One toe of your insolent. Oh, Hogwarts is soft. And, Filch is like, well, we'll see, you know, I, I keep the chains well oiled just in case we still get to do that. And that's where Tracy's like, well, hold on, you know, you can't uh, be talking about, you know, well oiled chains. Well-oiled I'm just a little chains. girl. <laughs> I'm just a little girl. Yeah, yeah, I did pick up on that eventually. Especially because like a well oiled chain is just, just like an odd thing. Like, that's not a thing. You don't need to keep your chains well oiled. Yeah, I I'm not a torture keep, specialist. I, I guess if you're just sitting there relishing on the chance to use them. Keep them in a cool, dry place. They're fine. Yeah. I think it's probably just like, you know, relishing the chance to get to use them again. You sit there once a week and spend an hour just polishing them. Yeah, you're just in good condition. Quote, you're a fucking polishing psychopath. the chains, unquote. Yeah, there's definitely something to read into there. But um, anyway, so they are, they learn to go into the forest and, uh, <laughs> this is another great line from Tracy. She's like, but but there's werewolves in there and vampires. And everyone knows what happens when there's a girl and a werewolf and a vampire all at the same time. At least Tracy's more interesting than uh, Bella Swan. So. Who? That's the that protagonist the from Twilight. Oh, see, I blocked that shit from my memory. Oh, you... you Lucky man, you. Yeah, I, I think, uh, I think Cedric, I've seen one of them. I've, I've seen one of the movies, and 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 that's it. Speaking of Cedric Diggory, it's the same guy who plays the. Oh vampire. yeah, that's right. Yeah, right. and he's our new Batman. And I'll be honest, the new Batman trailer looks fucking tight. Like, I, yeah, I, I could be down with that. There've been, you know, I mean, it's not. He's no Val Kilmer. I mean, we've had, <laughs> I don't know, a dozen Batman in our lives, Seriously. so. I, I think this new this new uh, iteration of Batman will be fun. I'll be honest, yeah, I didn't I love the, the Ben Affleck. Batfleck wasn't my Batman. <laughs> Batfleck. Yeah, he's been nice. Yeah, he just, he looks portly. He's a bit, well, stout. He just, he's a bit stout for a Batman. And it, he, they didn't do the setup for like, why is he suddenly, you know, guns blazing, just shooting people in the face and yeah. blowing people up. They, they could have. They could have, with two lines, they could have explained why he's, a, you know, taking off the kid gloves and full-on murder Batman, but they didn't, and it didn't land, so... And rant about Dawn of Justice. Well, let's just jump right in. So, um, I do want to point this out too. That so they meet Hagrid just like in the book. They meet then Hagrid and Fang, and Hagrid is exactly like the warm, fuzzy, like just caramel-centered giant that he was in the original. <laughs> there's there's the one little bit that like uh, I don't know landed for me as like oh yeah this is my beloved Hagrid. So like you're meeting the the students and whatever, and then he says this is Fang indicating the dog and like i could just imagine him saying fang these are the students like he's <laughs> <laughs> just the fact I that he, did... he, 
he had introduced yeah. his dog like it's a like he's a a person. It's like of course he is. This is uh, Hagrid. Students, students, fine. <laughs> like uh, Yukowski did a good job with uh, with Hagrid's dialogue. He did like all of his like whatever weird regional accent that is, but it's like summits going on. And the uh, the voice actor for him, I think Willie L. McAllister is how he delivers it in the attribution, <laughs> and he fucking nailed the Hagrid too. Yeah, I did. Either. That was really well done. He did like yeah. Yep, yep. All right. I've been talking for a while. What's, so, what's going on? So they're 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 doing the thing that they're like. So yeah, there's the usual like Filch trying to sound um, pathetically uh, intimidating, and Hagrid's like, "No, fuck off! They're with me now." And then it's like what we all expected. Okay, you know, unicorns have been getting killed, and clearly the best thing for us to do is take four children into the forest at night to try to find it. <laughs> and they do. And because that seemed like too solid a plan, then they also thought that it would be good if they split up so that they could cover more territory. Just let's like split up, just like a Scooby Doo. <laughs> let's split up, and, and also let's make sure to walk backwards in the dark. Right. Oh, there's also a, another throwaway in here about um, something about hydras, which I'm sure is something to do with some yeah, like Parisian hydras or something. Yeah. But the thing that like you, you, you can't lose as long as you keep fighting. I'm sure that's from something. But the one that I like, they're talking about other creatures in the woods. And he says, like, there's things in there, like, uh, I'm trying to find the quote, but I can't. But he, he's like, you know, monsters, this and that. And then imps that you can't see or remember, even as they're eating your face. Um, <laughs> that, that imp is a, is a character in Worm. And her power um. is that when she turns her power on or off, I forget, whatever, when her power is engaged, you just don't perceive her anymore. And you forget that she ever existed. And, and so, and so she, if she's in the room moving things around, you're just like, oh, it, that's weird. That was over here a second ago. But like, it, it doesn't even register quite as weird because there's no agent, like you don't imagine the oh. agent behind it. And so like, she could be in the room punching you in the face and you're just like, and just like ow, right. this hurts. What's, you know, not even like what's happening. It's just like, ow, my face hurts. Um, so that's, that's the, and so her uh, supervillain name is Imp. And that's why he's Imp. mentioning uh, Imps that you, you can't see. See, yeah, like, yeah. Imps you can't see when they're eating your face just sounded like crystal meth to me. But... Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah. Well, it is in fact a worm <clears throat> shot out, so. Nice. That is, that's, right. that's sort of like, uh, what were they called in Doctor Who? Those aliens that like, they like just keep writing on their arm every time they saw one because as soon as you looked away, you could, didn't remember that you'd seen them. Came up with their call. I don't remember, but that's a lot like Harry biting his uh, lip in the early book when he was worried about being yeah, oblivious. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I can't remember. Anyway, uh, so yeah, so they're doing the, the usual thing, and they uh, they're stooping around in the forest and run into. I th- so they they run into a dead unicorn, but I think this is the one that they already knew was going to be there, wasn't it? Like, right? Yeah. So so that one wasn't a surprise. Um, but then and then this is where Hagrid does the like uh, clearly smartest thing for us to do is for me to leave with these. You two go that way. You two go that way, and I'll run over here and. What is it? They like, oh, you know, launch red sparks if you're in trouble or green sparks if you find something. Um, and so everybody's just kind of split up. And then, and so our point of view. Well, I think ha- Haggard with... goes with the kids at first, the two, the youngest ones. Uh, Drake. Oh, yeah. He just. Yeah, yeah. But then he leads then, them. Yeah. And then sparks go off or something and he goes trunging off into the oh, forest he goes running, by yeah. himself. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And so then, so then it's just Draco and Tracy. And I like, uh, there was a little bit, like, I like, I, one of the kind of notes I just, gave myself in these scenes like this is a very sort of this beginning thing is very draco oriented 
um, scene. And I, I just like this is more sort of like, I don't know if character development is enough of a word for it, but just like a little more, you know, point of view from Draco's standpoint and kind of just seeing him being a kind of an unappealing character that, and get to see kind of his own internal dialogue of basically sort of having to try on the outfit of being a good guy. Um, hey, fake it till you make it, man. There you go. Um, oh, I wanted to point this out before we get there. Sorry. Yeah. The first unicorn they find is named Alicorn. And apparently that's the material that their horns are made out of. Mm-hmm. And so they're like, why'd you name it that? And it's, and I think Alicorn, like they mentioned unicorn with wings. I think that's a My Little Pony reference. But mm-hmm. uh, first of all, Hagrid being his warm, fuzzy self, he's like, I get, I give her a name I thought she'd appreciate, you know, <laughs> like I'm not going to call her like what Hannah or some such. Right. Um, but then uh, Alicorn is also the name of uh, another prominent figure in the rationalist community and we were talking about twilight earlier she wrote a rationalist twilight um, uh, like so she did a method of rationality but for twilight so uh that is available i forget oh luminosity i think might be the name of the uh the book um but you can just google alicorn twilight and probably find it that way anyway sorry it's back been a, to our regularly scheduled program it's been a this is a very reference heavy chapter because right. we're also about to run into eniosh like twice yeah we are um yeah or Brodsky, um, whose ass I kicked in risk last night. Um, <laughs> you stopped it. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so Haggard runs off, and so it's just um, Draco and Tracy hanging around, and Tracy's going like, uh, I don't this, I've got a bad feeling about this. <clears throat> and Draco, in, in his, like, you know, moment of clarity... Um, is like okay and I, there was another thing where he mentions like oh if, if we were in a play and i was watching this happen this would seem really uh foolish what we're doing right now <clears throat> and that just sort of like stuck out to me again is like that idea of a play like between like draco and lucius they seem to like hit on that idea of like oh we are like characters in a play or just like that idea of like you know plot development inside a play and and how they sort of relate that to what is happening in their own lives it's just that was just kind of interesting that it came up again like it's this sort of like specifically malfoy trait um well i think it's because they don't have movies and so like this is their version of being trope savvy yeah. where like yeah. if you and i you know if there's a knife wielding masked psychopath stabbing people are we would say well, let's not run upstairs because that's what they do in the movies right yeah. let's not split up and run away let's 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 i don't know call the police or yeah <laughs> there's a perfect episode of community <laughs> where they're, they're all telling in. yeah there's, there's an episode of community where they're all sharing horror stories and abed is the one who watches a lot of tv and basically lives his life like it's a tv show and he's like mm-hmm. so his version is oh you know what we heard about the radio we heard on the radio about the uh the, the murderer let's stand let's call the police on my fully charged cell phone and then stand in the middle <laughs> of the room with holding <laughs> knives waiting for the police to show up <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was interesting that like so yeah there's like but and like making as you know as plays rather than movies or tv is like adapts it to wizard world but but that like that way of like looking at their world is something that seems that like uh draco and lucius are sort of more so than other characters even like harry a little bit will will call things out like that but that seems to be like a a way that the two malfoy men uh keep jumping back to how to like examine their world i thought it was kind of interesting and because it was, i'm like he's totally right and he does the totally smart thing so like like then thinking like okay we've just sort of like set ourselves up to be the victims in a horror movie um he gets on his mirror he, he breaks out his uh his walkie-talkie and he calls Eniosh. what does it does he actually does he just say like or or something or does he i can't remember 
Exactly. I think it, he just taps on. it, and then he it goes to our it. Captain Inyash Brodsky. <clears throat> and the fun <throat> fact, and if anyone listens to the audiobook, they'll know, but he got Dan Carlin of Hardcore History, which is an enormously famous podcast, um, to do the voice for our, our Brodsky. <laughs> Inyash got somebody else to do his own voice. Yeah, and not oh, just somebody else. Dan Carlin. Uh, there was an episode of Twilight Zone on the new one that Jordan Peele was doing. The second episode involved a podcast. Uh, the guy's on a plane, finds an iPhone or finds an iPod, and he's listening to the mystery of the flight, you know, disappearance of whatever, and it's the flight that he's on. Mm-hmm. And who is the guy doing the podcast? None other than Dan Carlin. Uh-huh. Um, so he, this guy is not just podcast cool. famous; he's TV famous. And see, and so many people that would be reading it that wouldn't pick up on that uh, that Eniash was not doing his own voice. Well, anyone, yeah, if you read it, you wouldn't pick up on it. But if you're listening to it, you can't miss it. Um, So, yeah. And so what Draco says, he's like, um, to me, this was sort of like, this very much felt like, like Draco has uh, been hairyified. Because this was a very (laughs) hairy way for Draco to behave. He's like, okay, shit's gone weird. I'm going to call the oars. And how did he put me on a 10 minute check in or, or something like that? But basically like. Um, check back with me in 10 minutes. If you don't hear from me, then something very bad has happened. Um, so it was a very like, you know, oh, this is what a sane person would do in a horror movie. That's what an almost sane person would do. I, I maintain that I feel like the smart thing to do would be just be like, yeah, I need backup. This shit's stupid. Yeah, come, this is a dumb situation right for me now, to yeah. be in. Yeah, come get me right now. You remember, I'm fucking leaving. Come get me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but instead he does the 10 minute check-in, which is halfway to the, to the right idea. I mean, we still have to advance some plot here. Yeah, but um, so so then they hear a scream, which it, that I mean they hear a scream, right? And I couldn't later like figure out like what scream would it have been that they were hearing, but I guess was it the scream of a unicorn? It, yeah, um, a high scream, not quite human. Something. Okay, so what it said, yeah. Maybe something like a horse. I think it says. Yeah. So oh, it did I don't know like if you ever. Yeah, all those sad movies where horses get murdered. I think horse screams yeah. probably sound like that. So. Um, and then, then Tracy <clears throat> just goes sprinting away when she hears the scream, probably yeah, and, toward the noise because yeah. and Draco's panicked. like, "Oh God, damn it!" <laughs> right. <laughs> but but then he does, he like runs after her, and then I think I pulled the quote. This was just there was a lot of uh, good, I didn't pull too many of the quotes, but there was a several uh, uh, spots in this chapter that was just like again like good turns of phrase and good descriptions. Um, but so yeah, so Tracy goes running over. Draco follows her, and. Uh, and then they come upon the crime scene. And uh, uh, so the quote I pulled, the sight tore at Draco's heart even more than the other unicorn because this one's eyes were staring glassily, glassily right at him. And because there was a blurring, twisting form feeding on an open wound on the unicorn's side like it was drinking from it. Draco couldn't understand, somehow couldn't recognize what he was seeing. It was looking at them. And it does all those like line breaks yeah, and uh, like a, dashes. It's like a bullet point, yeah, for every one of those. It's super yeah. creepy. And it was there's something about <clears throat> uh, I don't even know if this will make any sense, but there was something about that description where it's it's this thing that shouldn't even be real. Like it's not. It's too weird for you like to register as a thing that should be in the real world. Um, and the the fact that it was like looking at them somehow like. It kind of like the same sensation of like breaking a fourth wall, like, oh, that's too weird for it to be recognizing that I'm there. Um, there was something creepy about that. And and, and for and I can't really tell you why why that reminded me, but I don't know if you like remember the scene in, uh, it was that M. Night Shyamalan uh, movie about aliens. I think it was Signs was what it was called. Yeah. 
Do you remember oh, the scene? I think it's the very by. first scene. Yeah, where the, like the aliens yeah. just kind of like walk by. There's some. I don't even know what it is about that scene, but there's something like really unsettling about like like that's somehow like an intrusion into your world that shouldn't have been there. Like that suddenly got way more real than it should have been. And I think it was. I think it was something about like how that was like the just the sh- the way that was shot in that movie. Although it's like all special effects, so that's kind of an odd way to describe it as being shot, but. But yeah, there's something about that, like, like okay, you've just come upon this like super grisly scene. There's this like very creepy, difficult to describe, ghosty kind of form thing, chowing down on a unicorn, and it looks at you. Um, yeah, it was like super creepy the way it was. So that was really well done. I liked that a lot. Um, and in my, it's I, I guess I'm getting in a shot to the audiobook once a minute. In the audiobook, Inuyasha is just like this kind of staticky jumping in and out noise, and I'm not sure if he's mm. deliberately going for Slenderman, but that's exactly what it sounds like. <laughs> the uh, the static when you're approaching him, or he's he's, mm. he's getting near you, and so that that sort of like I don't know, this horror is upon you vibe yeah. is is heavy in the books in the audiobooks. Yeah, so. I think yeah, I must I think I must have switched to reading at this point because yeah, I don't remember that uh, as audio, but yeah, it was really well done. Yeah, you know, I'm actually glad I read this part because I don't think it would have had quite the same effect. If I'd heard it, um, I think it's worth, uh, this is how I usually, and it's a bummer cause I would get through so many more books if I just, if I was able to just listen to them, but I tend mm-hmm. to do both. If I'm going to mm-hmm. do an audiobook. um, like I'll read it and then I'll listen to it. Uh, yeah. I, it just makes it stick better in my head for some reason. Mm-hmm. But anyway, uh, yeah. So Draco's just sitting there kind of like, you know, mechanically tapping at his, at his, yeah. at, at his walkie talkie and it's not working. Mm-hmm. Tracy's trying to cast spells, but like literally nothing's happening. Um, yeah and then it like it starts to like rear up like stand up and it's kind of form is changing and it's basically like gonna start coming at them um right and then the cops show up um this whole scene was like very like it all happens like very quickly and it was all very cool so we see what it says that like so four brooms show up in the sky above them <clears throat> one of them is harry and mcgonagall and then the other three are uh non-specific ores i don't even think it says one of them is uh Inuyash, but uh three random aurors and harry and mcgonagall <clears throat> and then they like all come in so we're like okay thank god the cops are here but then um the beast quarrel um just sort of like did it describe it specifically it's basic but basically like quarrel just sort of like you know zaps everybody all at once and they all just come tumbling to the ground yeah basically um, and there's another cool thing about that too when they show up there's a blazing ball of silver light and that's how they found him as harry i guess willed as patronus to take the form of a ball of light oh, yeah, instead of a person yeah. and so not only do they show up but they show up in this you know bright floodlight of you know mm. it, it couldn't be more dramatic and awesome and then mcgonagall yells get out of here an instant before the seething thing gave forth another terrible hiss and all the shielding spells winked out the three oars and professor mcgonagall fell off their broomsticks and dropped heavily to the forest floor lying motionless and Harry Potter, who had remained untouched, silently guided his broomstick toward the ground. I know it's cool, and like then, a bunch of stuff happening all at once because it's like, so it's first this again, this like super impressive, like impressive in how understated a display of his power it is. He's just able to just like, poop, no, you fuckers are just gone, and they all fall down. But the, and then also at the same time, you're like, oh, and by the way, none of this affects Harry um, because and of the magic be, connection. Well, yeah, we know why. But also, anyway. what's fun is like, and I. I Harry knows it's Quirrell because he can feel him, right? Yeah. And, like, so Harry, this is, like, his best, like, playing up for drama ever. He says, run, Draco, I'll hold it off. Which, oh, actually, now, now, that, now that I look at it, that's actually rather ominously exactly the same wording that uh, James gave to Lily when Voldemort shows up. Oh. He says, take Harry and run, I'll hold yeah. him off. 
Um, anyway, Draco says, uh, you can't fight that thing alone. And he says, I must go. <laughs> and it's like, all right, you're getting, you're getting all the badass points for hitting all the I'm an action hero yeah. bullet points right there. Now, I wonder, though, like for Harry to when Harry shows up like that. So the, the minute he shows up, then he will know like so he could he could just sense that it was Quirrell. But like before Harry like blinked in. What, I wonder what he knew at that point, what he thought he knew, or what he you know actually knew, because he he didn't have any like certainty that that's what it was until he yeah, actually no got there clue. and was able to sense him. So yeah, kind of kind of makes you curious why they'd even bother bringing Harry Potter when you think about it. I like, know. hey, we've got some kids missing. Like someone else can cast a Patronus and send it to Draco, right? Yeah. Like they could have followed uh, McGonagall's. Uh, she's got the yeah cat Patronus. Um, yeah, it's true, but, and, and we know, don't get we like, and we do get an explanation. Harry's there because like, he needs to be for the plot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and we get explanation of like the time turner fuckery that made this happen. But, but yeah, we don't get an explanation as to why everybody thought it was cool to send like the number one target in the school into danger. Maybe he fucking um, insisted, but even then, he can't yeah. quite insist, right? Exactly. Like you're still a kid, but yeah. you know, it worked out, yeah. and, it, and it was awesome. And the time turner fuckery, I fucking loved too. Well, yeah. uh, when he explains that later, we'll get there. Yeah. Um, um, but so yes, yeah, so, so Draco Coral, runs away, and smacks his head on a branch, and passes out. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and did, and then he also <clears throat> did Quirrell because like it's it's only within seconds before it's that Quirrell and Harry, the only conscious people in the area. Um, what happened to Tracy? Did Quirrell just zap her unconscious? Because sort of like that all kind of happened all together. Um, yeah, that must have happened when she yeah. was running away or something. It should, uh, yeah. I'm assuming it got everybody. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, basically yeah. within seconds, like everybody's unconscious on the ground, um, except for him and Harry. And yeah, that was like another kind of sort of demonstration of like Quirrell and Harry cannot fuck with each other directly. Um, and so, so yeah, so now like everybody's kind of unconscious, and then it's just uh, Quirrell and Harry. We don't technically know that it's Quirrell yet, um, but then Harry's like, "Dude, what the fuck?" Um, in a way, which is like, I guess we know it, but it's a little bit. Um, jarring not jarring but a little bit unexpected because like harry's sort of directly like acknowledging that like he knows who this is and what's going on and that it's not just some like you know weird mysterious forest monster harry's like what the fuck's going on coral um yeah and then coral just sort of like demorphs himself back into just a his regular coralness you know there's a a beat here that i want to point out because i think i don't know where harry's coming from here he says the seething blurs resolved reformed relaxed back into a hooded form whatever concealment had been been at work a device rather than a charm harry guessed since the magic had been been able to affect him like Mm. i don't know why he thinks it has to be a device like quirrell's self-affecting magic can affect harry when when quirrell disillusioned himself harry couldn't still see him yeah like quirrell can still do magic on himself just the magic and he can make himself like Quirrell doesn't a seething I, horror I, if he wants. Yeah, well, and yeah, and and yeah. Voldemort didn't grow up looking like Quirrell apparently, so the Quirrell that he looks like isn't you know the quote real Quirrell. So he can uh, make himself look like anything he wants. It could be. Um, so yeah, but yeah, that's that, that. I do remember that being a little bit. That was kind of a uh, Yudkowsky's lawyer said that he needed to cover that for the plot police's benefit. But. Well, but I think that is. I I, I object. <laughs> if his lawyer's making that case. I think that, that Quirrell's, Quirrell's magic can affect what Harry looks at, right? Yeah. But, you know, I'll leave my, well, yeah, leave my it's, lawyer's well, yeah. for a bigger case. It's, uh, well, yeah, and it's because it's, uh, yeah, Quirrell's not doing anything to Harry with that magic. He's doing it to himself. Right. With whatever he does, but yeah. 
That's and it's, and what was playing in the back of my head through this whole thing um, is I don't buy fucking any of this. So like you 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 like no right away. Okay, like okay, unicorns are dying. This is definitely coral. We don't yet know entirely what the purpose of it all is. But like I'm already like at step zero. I'm already assuming this is all theater. Um, especially because like, you know, hyper competency porn quarrel is not going to leave evidence of anything happening unless he felt like it. Um, so, and I guess you could get into like, oh, he's getting like weaker and maybe things are kind of falling apart, but I still don't buy it. Um, but so it, kind of it running, does kind of make you wonder, like if you wanted this to be discovered or not, like, yeah. I don't know if he anticipated being caught here like this with all the ores and all the kids, but he wouldn't, he wouldn't like, leave a, he wouldn't leave a unicorn corpse lying around. That's what I'm saying. So yeah. he's like, he uses magic to like tear chunks out of it. So it looks like it's some other predator, yeah. which also I think that's his language, some other predator, which I love. Cause he's like, he's yeah, saying in a sense, the I'm a predator. Yeah. 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 But, but yeah, if like, you didn't, what, he would just, what would I do? They would just disappear. They would just be gone. Exactly. You wouldn't even know that the unicorn ever existed. Yeah. You disappear it. You vanish the blood and oh, there's, you know, who's counting the unicorns? Exactly. Fucking nobody. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. So that, that was in my head. Okay. Yeah. To the extent that any of this stuff is being discovered it's because Quirrell wanted it to be discovered. And so then you're always like, okay, then, uh, you know, what is it? Quon Bono? Who, who benefits? Why would he want, want this to happen? Um, and also in like, like the counter argument that I have in my head then would be like, okay, he's getting weaker. So maybe it's not as easy for him to, you know, cover his tracks like this, but then we do see him like displaying like very, just like he's able to like, you know, zap, three ores and a Hogwarts professor out of the air. He still that has might have quite a bit of power. He just ate a unicorn. Oh yeah, it could be, but yeah, but if, but if you've just eaten a unicorn, then you have plenty of energy to cover up the evidence of having just eaten a unicorn. Totally agree. Um, so, so yeah. So again, it's coral fuckery and I don't trust it. Um, but, and we'll get to that a little bit later. So, so then also playing in the back of my head was, okay, so he's weak and he needs, you know, unicorn blood to survive because he's dying. And what I'm registering in the back of my head is, yeah, no, I don't fucking believe you. Um, like, how does it benefit you to get people to believe that? Um, but there is this one thing that we do get Harry saying in the next chapter that the sense of doom around Quirrell is, is starting to lessen. And that's kind of like a, that is a Quirrell independent fact that uh, going on. That is just a observation of Harry's about Quirrell that's not like you know, engineered. I mean, I guess it could be, but like, so that's like this little piece of evidence that doesn't fit the idea that this is just all theater um, from Coral. Although I guess that part could be as well. If Crow, yeah, he could be like, playing. Maybe Coral has some ability. Rather yeah, than fourth dimensional chess, you know, but like <laughs> at the same time, like if he could tune the dial, however he wanted on the sense of doom, like why not just always have it at zero? Wouldn't it be super su- suspicious yeah. to have it at, at any level if you could just, yeah keep it as low as possible all the time yeah so so yeah that doesn't that's the little bit that's like sticking out from my theory of what's going on like okay that doesn't work i need some other explanation for that but um i'm still going with what has proven to be a pretty solid theory at this point is that all bad shit happening is quarrel's fault and you can't trust anything he says (laughs) it's a solid solid theory and i'm sticking with it um but yeah so so harry's at the like okay what the fuck and uh, Quirrell's like, okay, I'll explain, but real quick, let me erase everybody's memories, and I'm going to float Draco off a few hundred yards away just to make this whole story look a little more convincing, and let me change, you know, uh, take a 
chunk out of the side of the unicorn and make it look like another predator. Um, and then he says, and then we got to get out of here because I assume you're going to show up here later with the time turner and do something. And then Harry's like, yeah, okay, yeah, I can already see myself over here. Well, standing I think, over I here think, from the future. Uh, Quirrell can sense him through the cloak, right? As we saw when he showed him the stars like mm. a few chapters ago. So he just sensed two Harrys there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I th- didn't it, but I think because, well, because Harry could sense himself, which was like some weird thing about like, oh, I now know the secrets of the of the invisibility cloak and I can see myself through other invisibility cloaks or something, something. But I thought Quirrell, didn't Quirrell, Quirrell said it in a way that was just sort of like, that he sort of, you know, deduced it logically as a thing that would happen rather than he specifically sensed it. He I was thought like, it was, I know I you'll probably show up here. Sensed. He says, mm-hmm. you'll, you will return to this time later, as I know. Um, and that's Yeah, Harry I guess I, I read that as him just saying, like, I assume that that will be a thing. Well, yeah, so Harry sensed it, but that my my read of what Quirrell was saying was that he was just, he's, that Quirrell was more just saying, I assume you're going to show up here later, meaning that you are already here in a second form right now. But that, that it was more like an assumption rather than a thing that he was actually seeing. I Another took it as a thing that he could sense Harry, like yeah. he sensed two of them, but, you know, yeah. either way. But yeah, uh, but so yeah, like so, future Harry. The only thing like future Harry says to present Harry is he has a surprisingly good explanation. <laughs> um, and so yeah, so they do all that, and then they they walk away. I believe that's they walk off to some non-specified other area away from unicorn corpses. Yeah, after after Quirrell um, finishes his false memory charms. Yeah, uh, yeah, and we get like a little bit of kind of background explanation of like Harry's sort of understanding of. Like how, how, how obliviation, we get like Harry's like, okay, obliviation is still hard for me, but I'm getting better at it. But this whole false memory thing is super crazy hard. And so it's sort of a, another like appreciation of the levels of power that Quirrell has been demonstrating. Um, but yeah, and then also, and then probably a little bit of plot importance around making sure that we happen to mention that Harry's getting better at obliviating. Um, that just sort of stood out as a, Wink, wink. Um, that was the let me let me underline that uh, in the text to make sure I remember that for later. Um, <laughs> I like how it says if it was convenient for an R to lose every memory involving the color blue, <laughs> which kind of makes you wonder like what the precision looks like for this. Like if you can do, I, I mean, I feel like every memory involving the color blue would be a lot of shit. It sounds like it'd just be easier to remember, you know, forget everything in the last week, but. I guess it means that however this works, it's not intuitive, which is just yeah. kind of fun magic hand waviness. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And, so, yeah and, so, and Harry kind of having a more kind of detailed appreciation for how hard it would be to that, like erasing memories is one thing, but then like creating memories out of thin air would be really, really hard. Um, and so like having an appreciation for how much power people were um, like giving Hermione false memories, like how big a deal that would have been. Um, and so, so they walk off and then Quirrell's basically like, yeah, I've been having to eat unicorns because I'm dying and this is the only thing that will keep me alive. Then he sort of plays up a whole sob story about the, his noble motivations and needing to just, you know, be the, be able to finish out his one year as a defense against the dark arts professor, because the children need an education and it's the right thing to do. Um, yeah, the bar. And Harry and Harry and Harry's still kind of like eating that shit up. Um, well, it's like yeah, sort of like, works on him a little. It works on him. It doesn't entirely work on him, but it works on him a little better than it ought to. Um, I think. I think it works. Pretty, I think so. Here's here's my read on it. So because uh, 
he asks Quirrell, like, why are you eating unicorns? He's like, I wasn't eating them. I was drinking their blood. And the, you know, I was, uh, I was hiding, you know, what kind of predator it was because the use of unicorns blood is too well known. And Harry says, well, I don't know it. He's like, I know you don't. Otherwise, you would be <laughs> pestering me about it. The power of unicorns blood is to preserve your life for a time, even if you're on the very verge of death. And that's kind of where Harry's brain hits a wall. And he's, well, like, and he's, oh, hold, hold on. Uh, Quirrell's not just occasionally ill like mm-hmm. it's it's getting worse of course like this has a project a, a, a predictable trajectory yeah and uh um yeah i like how that he's Go ahead. That, so it seems to hit him like straight on he says no there there has to be a way and um then you know he's having emotions his breath hitching i think it, it like this this whether you believe it's a concocted story or not whatever harry just heard i think landed perfectly uh as intended i mean yeah no so yeah that like the emotional like just gravity of it but the again the uh gullibility of it, like the conspicuous gullibility of harry who is a particularly not gullible person around like just whatever kind of narrative quarrel wants to wrap around things um that harry's willing to go along with like it's again just like this huge blind spot he has around quarrel just because the idea that like, oh, and then Quirrell's going to all this trouble, like, you know, he's wanting to, you know, survive just this little bit longer uh, just so that he can, you know, fulfill his duties as a defense against the dark arts professor. Um, it's just like, yeah, no, no. Um, but yeah, but that totally works. as like, oh, but it still works on Harry. Um, I liked too about this though, that, um, so we have it like Harry's coming to those realizations around like, oh, this, you know, this all makes sense. Like pieces are, are falling together for him. Like, okay, of course you know, of course he's dying. Like this is something I've been kind of denying to myself, but it, there's been so much here in my face, you know, showing that that's the way it is. So we've got kind of that level of like Harry kind of opening his eyes to things, but then also like just in these, in the last few chapters and we're still just sort of partially in it, we're getting this sort of very weird, like we were just talking about like the, the um, gaslighty vibe of, it's becoming increasingly obvious that, well, increasingly obvious that Quirrell is Voldemort, but at, at least increasingly obvious that Quirrell is not cool. Like Quirrell is not a good guy, and that's becoming more and more obvious. But, but and it's in this very weird kind of like having to admit to a thing you already knew all along, and that that is an admission of guilt about kind of sinister motivations underneath, and it, and it's becoming sort of. So like as that kind of veil around Quirrell is being lifted more and more and we're seeing like how much of not a good guy he is, there's still this, it's like you're sort of getting like sucked into this idea, like like that's kind of luring Harry into this like being okay with levels of shittiness that he shouldn't be. Like if he had been confronted with this all, all this all at once, he would go like, oh wait, this is like fucking an evil dude doing evil shit. But it's like Harry's getting kind of getting sucked in, like things that he's starting to realize about what Quirrell does should be alarming to him. And they're not because he's getting like slowly, like he's getting acclimatized to like levels of bad that he's then telling himself are okay with how Quirrell's behaving. And it's just kind of this weird like contradiction of that he's just sort of like entertaining ideas of allowing this kind of behavior that he shouldn't and that it's kind of a little bit crazy as as he's what, doing it what kind of specifically are you talking about well just the like okay the defense professor is just like going in and killing unicorns and eating them and was probably totally about to kill people if you hadn't caught him 
Um, oh, I don't know if he'd have killed all those people, but maybe. Well, that's a, but but that, that like if this had been harms, a, yes, if, if for anybody else would be like, okay, what the fuck is going on here? But oh, it's Quirrell, so we're gonna like. It's just like there've been like in, like the amount of uh the, like the benefit of doubt level has gotten way beyond normal of the, like the things that you would be okay like okay oh no he's just professor Kroll and he's a good guy and just maybe a little bit misunderstood like that's becoming increasingly strained a way of of trying to justify what's going on um, i mean all, all he all he's guilty of here is eating some unit or drinking some unicorn blood right like that so this is actually kind of funny there was some pushback uh but, and, but uh, well so that's the thing like like a a not a not rationalizing to himself harry would have accurately seen this as you were totally about to kill these kids except that we came in here and stopped you Oh, maybe. I don't yeah, I mean, think oh, that's that, what I see. See, you're doing it too. I might so be, like, I, so there's I guess, this level I, of I, like, like, I can't like be sure if I'm blind, really but I, I think that to give like, him the benefit of the doubt, it, it would have, it would have made it harder for him to keep, you know, all of his, uh, subterfuge alive. If there were two more dead kids. Right. Um, yeah. I feel like just knocking them out and obliviating them or whatever would have, would have been sufficient. Rather than leaving corpses around, yeah. because but and like after this, Harry like totally goes like Harry starts lying to Dumbledore and everybody to basically go along with Quirrell's story. It's just sort of this like this kind of creepy, like you're being sucked into the to the craziness of the evil dude. That's a good point. He does uh, he doesn't tell anybody what he learns about Quirrell yeah. here. Um, yeah, and the and the amount of like bending, twisting things around that Harry's having to do in order to play along with things is getting like bigger. Like it's get, it's getting harder to to play along with the charade without just like having to admit to yourself that like okay shit's really fucked up. So right. I kind of like like and it's sort of like incre- it's like this increasing tension that's getting like it's just like shit's getting weirder and more uncomfortable and more surreal as Harry like keeps trying to not give in to like reality around like this dude's evil and doing nasty shit. Um, yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Like things are getting more and more surreal as he's trying to like you know, continue the delusion that everything's fine with Quirrell. He's just, you know, dying and needs to help himself. I can't remember. I could pull up, I guess, my spreadsheet of when this episode or when this chapter first came out. Um, but I remember when this came out, there was like a conversation on Yudkowsky's Facebook about like whether or not it would be ethically okay to eat a unicorn in the situation uh, without being 100% sure of like how sentient they are. Um, oh, yeah, 2013. So, yeah, it's definitely still on Facebook at this time. It's not like and, a grass. Right, they're not sentient grass. They're just they're just magic horses. So, um, in any case, uh, the the conversation was like I think Yudkowsky said something along the lines of like, look, yes, even if you're, if you're a vegetarian, if you were going to die if you didn't eat a pig, I think it's perfectly okay for you to eat a pig, or I think he said cow or something. And like I know that I think pigs are smarter than cows. At least that's my understanding. And at the time in 2013, I was a vegetarian. I still ethically should be. I'm just lazy. Um, but, uh, I had, I had commented, I said, I'm a vegetarian. And if I, if I knew that like I would die, if I didn't eat this pig, you can bet your ass out. I, I think I said, I would absolutely like not hesitate. You know, you just, you feel bad that it's not, it's a necessary thing you have to do. Mm-hmm. And I think Yukaski liked that comment. So, um, yeah, that was my claim to fame. You know, I didn't get a name in the book or anything, but I got a, a comment like, on Facebook, <laughs> but, uh, like, you know, in a pinch, I mean, you know, people don't. There's uh, no or Zuber or anything to, to, to ratchet this up to eleven. Like people don't want to, uh, you know, no one other than like the uh, occasional exception. But I imagine most cannibals don't like 
plan on becoming cannibals. They're in a tight situation and they're like, well, we've got a dead person here. We might as well eat them so the rest of us don't also die. Like at some point it becomes okay to do something terrible if the, you know, if the situation kind of demands it, right? So even if you think that eating uh, animals is super bad, like it, it becomes like there's a level where you just, you say, fine, whatever, you know, like stealing is bad, but if you're starving to death, stealing suddenly becomes less bad, right? Or it becomes, it becomes permissible if yeah. it's, even if it's not okay. I, but I see, felt yeah, like it was kind like... of hilarious debate that people were, were annoyed about like the vegetarian component to it. And it's like, it doesn't like this is if, if, if <laughs> Coral's story is true and he would die without this, it, it's very, very okay for him to eat this unicorn. <laughs> but see this, so, but this is not like you like sort of like ethically mind fuck yourself in the territory that like intuitively you shouldn't have like been bothered to go into. So yes, all of those things are true, but just like take a deep breath, step back and go, is it normal that we're sneaking around in the forbidden forest, killing cute little animals and sucking their blood? And does that seem like something we should be getting behind? And like, you have to really <laughs> twist is, uh... yourself into knots and go into all kinds of weird, like ethical algebra for to start, for you to start thinking to like surrender that just kind of gut level correctness around, okay, this is fucked up and we shouldn't be doing it. Like, start I, uh, from there and, like, prove me wrong. Prove me that this is not fucked up and we shouldn't be doing it. And you probably don't need to be bringing up, like, you know, pigs and vegetarianism. And, and Peter Singer, utilitarianism, et cetera. Exactly. Right. You just might, be like, yeah, I might have a, you know, sucking I on unicorns a in the a... forest in the middle of the night and looking like a nasty-ass monster. Just It's just not good. It seems like something's up. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, I might be uh, in a funny situation here because I've for a long time really enjoyed, uh, like, ethical philosophy uh since i was some nerdy 14 year old mm-hmm. and like i the reason i became a vegetarian is i read a short essay by peter singer um and so like all of the like the ethical algebra is something i just do partly because i just enjoy it but also because i think there's something to be gained from thinking yeah. about you know how ought i to do things but um like that sort of like utilitarian or however whatever framework you want to approach it from calculation comes to me whether i like you know, deliberately conjure it or not. Like that's just how my brain thinks about ethical dilemmas. Cause I've enjoyed, I don't know, mm. the mental masturbation of ethical philosophy for <laughs> 15 years. Um, I mean, well, no, like, yeah. And I said like, that stuff is like still good. It's like, you just need to make sure you don't let go like that, that intuitive gut level, like, you know, sucking on unicorn blood in the middle of the forest is bad. Like is, is a, that is a good thing that one ought to hang on to. Um, and like, and the other, like, you know, like looking at things logically and calmly and thinking about the implications of things and thinking about, you know, what if the trillion blades of grass are sentient is good. Um, as long as you don't also like let go of the things that you were just born with that, like, you know, being mean is bad and you shouldn't, <laughs> um, like hang on to that too. Like, uh, you know, your friend is crying. You should probably, you know, give her a hug and yeah. not worry about the fucking grass. Um, uh, I, uh... the grass will still be there five minutes from now. But so so many will have died while you're sitting there doing something pointless, like comforting one <laughs> like crying funny. girl. I know. Um, yeah, no, we, we, that's yeah. that's all fun and engaging. Um, the uh, I think you, you put this in the notes, too, but the chapter ends with Harry throwing a fit, which I like. His the, the magical version of a, I guess, a first year magic level version of throwing a fit is just chopping a bunch of two branches with yeah. magic, which when is like our equivalent, just like punching holes in drywall. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know, yeah. Like that. Yeah, it was sort. Of, it was kind of like sort of sad because it was kind of this. He's just sort of feeling like powerless and just like just wants to break shit. Um, yeah, but yeah, but it does get like he feels just like you know unable to to do anything. Like he totally 
can't accept the situation that he's in and also can't think of anything to do about it. So he's just breaking shit. Sometimes you got to just let it out, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. So that's that chapter. We transition to, to 101. And this one's fun. I had a good time. I also got to do a voice for this chapter. I did. Uh, mm. it, it officially is just the centaur because we never get it called Firenze, but like. Oh, you got to do really Frenzy? Guess. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's got to be Frenzy. Yeah, because Firenze is also the one who had the like the foreboding thing in the woods at some point, yeah. like when all those. Well, I think this because that... this scene basically does happen in the original, and it was Firenze in this scene. Right. So. Yeah. Anyway, so Harry's sitting there. He had managed to you know chop down some branches and sitting there in his small circle of ruined trees. Um, <laughs> and then after he had run out of available magic, he started tearing branches off with his bare hands and snapping them. His hands are bleeding, though nothing Modern Pomfrey couldn't fix in the morning. Yeah, yeah and then he has just this, this very weird com- conversation with Frenzy. Which is very because exciting it, and full and full of implications and things to read deeply into. And if you wanted to read the story from the beginning, you'd be able to pick up a few things about this conversation. Well, what? There are some clues about what the fuck's going on here. Really? I, like, I didn't get anything beyond, like... Well, it's, it's, so, tell me what you're talking about. Because I didn't get I much beyond... won't. You won't. You won't. No. You gotta I, put in the hard work. Uh, well, yeah, not today I won't. <laughs> um, he, uh... I mean, because, like, all they really talk about is... What do they talk about? He says, um... I didn't pick up on much of anything other than him saying, uh, you are like the prophecy says that you're going to do something, something, and therefore I have to stop you. And then it sort of like comes out of nowhere that he just decides that he needs to kill Harry. And he sort yeah, of we'll, apologizes we'll to, for it. The conversation isn't that long. We'll go through most of it. But yeah, basically, Firenze shows, or probably Firenze shows up and he's just like, oh, you know, so here you are. I, I just tempted to read it all, but I won't. Um, but I do like this part. Harry says, it's not what it looks like. And he says, I know. The stars themselves proclaim your innocence, ironically enough. A strange word, innocence. Oh, he takes another step towards Harry um, in this conversation. He's just like getting, he's inching closer. Mm. And he says, a strange word, innocence. It means lack of knowledge, like the innocence of a child, and also means lack of guilt. Only those entirely ignorant can lack all responsibility for the consequences of their actions. And uh, Harry's like looking at the spear that the, that the centaur is holding. He's like... Realizing, oh, I should have grabbed my time turner. Um, and uh, let's see. They, they move on to, um, like, Harry's mentioning, uh, well, I think Firenze says something along the lines of, like, Mars is bright tonight or something, which, mm-hmm. you know, means this about the, about whatever, reading the future. And yeah, if there was like, something significant in this whole, like, because Harry went into, like, mansplaining about the silliness of astrology, and I just, my eyes glazed over and I skimmed. So no, hopefully there wasn't the, anything super important in that part. <laughs> I mean, the, the super important part is that for whatever reason, from what Fiverrenzi gleaned from the stars, he's deciding that he has to murder Harry Potter. Yeah, yeah. Um, against the, like, he's already talked about just how innocent this kid is. You know, he doesn't mm-hmm. know what he's doing, but I've got to murder this child. Um, yeah. Speaking of ethical algebra. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's, but it's sort of like mysterious. We don't really know why. Like, all we know is that Ferenzi feels like he, he has to, but we don't really know why he thinks he has to. Right. We don't, and, but don't he does like he that. regrets it. We we don't know why he thinks he has to, but he regrets it. But he's going to do it anyway, and then he tries to kill Harry. Yeah, there's there's this bit where he says, uh, where Harry explains, like, yeah, Mars is bright because he's getting closer to the Earth as they both go around the sun. Um, he says, "What do you mean the stars proclaim my innocence?" And he says, "The night sky speaks to centaurs. It's how we know what we know." 
And he's like, oh, that's like how your divination works. Okay, whatever. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, again, some of the, the Harry explaining about, you know, well, it must just be, it must just be your, you know, your innate talent for divination being kind of broadcast to the stars. But that's not, that can't be where it's coming from because like, you know, star or trajectories of stars and, and comets and shit, that's all something we can see for centuries in advance. And uh, then they kind of have this back and forth. He calls him son of Lily. Which, oh, yeah. which lets Harry chill out for a bit. Because um, he's like, oh, he sees me as a person. And he apparently yeah. knows who my mom is. Oh, yeah. 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 And so then Harry explains a bit about like how astronomy works and this and that. And he says, so the wandless have become wiser than the wizards. What a joke. Tell me, son of Lily, do the muggles in their wisdom say that soon the skies will be empty? He's like, empty? Uh, no. Oh, yeah, and like yeah. that that's a rather foreboding mm-hmm. thought and question, especially given the prophecy we heard a few chapters ago. Yeah. And Coral uh, being all freaked out that Harry's just gonna destroy the world. The right. Universe. Harry's going to destroy the pioneer plate. Do you remember uh the the wording? So we got Trelawney's prophecy after Hermione got killed. Uh no, what was it exactly? I don't remember. Uh he is here, uh the one who will tear apart the very stars in heaven. He is here. He is the end of the world. And mm-hmm. so whoever he is, but the tear apart the stars in heaven and then asking if those, if the heavens will be empty, mm-hmm. um, you know, kind of a, a scary thought. If you're and not, so friend, friends, has decided that's Harry. And then therefore he needs to end Harry so that that doesn't happen. So right. sorry, you seem like a good kid, but you're going to destroy the universe. So stabby, stabby. Oh, and I've gone a few minutes without mentioning the audiobook. Um, during the uh, <laughs> during the the battle scene, who did the, who voiced the centaur? It was really well done. Yeah, I man, I wish I could shake that guy's hand. He did a great job. Um, the uh, like as soon as Firenze like makes a uh, like, there's like this creeping music as it says like, "No, you're innocent," as the stars say, and to slay something innocent to save oneself that is a terrible deed. Um, and then, like this, then as it as he goes to like strike Harry with the back of the spear and keeps smacking his hands so he can't get his time mm-hmm. turner. There's like this cool battle music that's that's put in. Mm-hmm. It's just an excellent production. the The book gets the audiobook gets just outstanding. Um, anyway, so then he's about to kill him, and he says, "I am sorry, Harry Potter." And then there's flashes of green light, and or there's a red light, which he is able to like bat away with his mm-hmm. um, spear, which is badass. And then green light, and he's leaping away, and then he gets hit. And Harry thinks that he's been killed. Um, I'll be honest. Uh, so he he panics because Harry's doing this thing. He's like, "You you killed him!" And then like Harry is raising a trembling hand to his mouth, and he's like, "Oh come on, I didn't kill him. Yeah, no. it's, it's a green stunner." Like so, here's I'm surprised. You like my thing, my read on this is that he totally fucking killed him. And oh, you think? Yeah, because I guess we so, don't know that he just no because. Because he wakes him up, doesn't he? He wakes him up and makes him walk away. Yeah, but so here's my thing. And it's There's like, this is me centaur. being paranoid in this moment. And this was my initial read on it. So I'm not mm-hmm. doing any future knowledge. But like, he he leans over him for a while, a lot longer than an innervate. And mm-hmm. then he's like, I'll, he tells him, walk away from here and forget everything you've seen. That's not how false memory charms work. Mm. They work with you silently putting a memory in someone's yeah. head. And so my my head, my... My internal reading on this is that he fucking killed him, and he did like the Just whatever nefarious raised dead spell, yeah. 
And he's just like, all right, zombie, go wander into the woods and go decay over there because this kid's going to freak out if he thinks he's dead. But of course, my beloved, you know, soft-hearted, you know, puppy-loving Professor Quirrell would never do that. Never do that. Well, and, you know, and clearly we're going to have, you know, some plot element later that's going to show us that definitely Forenzi's still alive later, right? Oh, or not. Yeah, some some version. I mean, <laughs> we're we're either going to get. Uh, let's see. Let's let's relay our options. We can either get no mention of this ever again. We could get uh, Firenze coming in with a nice heartbeat and uh, uh, you know colorful pulse and everything and being healthy. Mm-hmm. Or we get zombie Firenze running in zombie here. Zombie Firenze. Um, I think. Yeah, or we just find his dead like we just later, right. Yeah, probably just don't find out anything, and we don't know anything. But yeah, but yeah, you you make a valid point. Yeah, and I also thought. Because as I was reading, I was thinking like, I guess on the one hand, I did see like, okay, that's a, a another big flex of power that he would go to all that extra trouble merely, which I guess that my read of it was like, it wouldn't be because he actually didn't want to kill Forenzi. It would be that he didn't want Harry to see him kill Forenzi. Um, well, and, and the more dead animals in the woods tonight is probably just more uh, bad news for him trying to keep this under wraps. So. Yeah. But that, uh, but yeah, I guess, so I was just seeing it as kind of like a flex of, like going to all that extra effort just to avoid killing him was just kind of like an additional flex of power. Um, but yeah, but that he didn't really, that it wasn't because he didn't want to kill him. He just didn't, he didn't like the, what that would do about Harry's opinion towards him if uh, he saw him kill him. So, so yeah, I think that's a solid theory. I like it. I, I like it too. I it's Yeah, especially because that that's I... like, that's not how the false memory would have worked. And especially right. since he did false memories with the other or it wasn't even because even what he says is like, oh, forget everything. That's not a false memory. That's Obliviate, which he just did right. to a bunch of other people. Yeah, come on. With much less production to it. So if if, if so, if I brought that objection up when we're having our lawyers argue this out in court, uh, <laughs> the, the counter argument might be yes, but by Ferenzi is an animal. Maybe it works differently on animals, right? Uh, so uh, you know, or he's part animal. Uh, yeah. But I'm I'm not buying it. If the judge will read back the transcript, you'll see that this is not how <laughs> obliviation usually works. So um, we agree that this is your toothbrush. <laughs> if no, if anyone listening hasn't seen John Mulaney's <laughs> New in Town, we, we've had a handful of in-jokes in this town, whole podcast about it. And it's brilliant. And, uh, ki- and Comeback Kid. I think it was, that's the other one. And then he has, he has a third one it. called, uh, um, uh, shoot, what was his third special called? Because he has three it's, on it's, Netflix. It's, it's, uh, he's got another one about like a, it's like a kid's show, which was not good. It's, no, no, that that that's his. That's a that's the third thing. He's yeah. got three comedy specials. Doesn't he come at, so there's come a kid new in town. There was a third one. Shoot, I can just camera. shout to my wife in the other room and ask her, but that ruined the audio. Anyway, Don Mulaney's got three specials on Netflix, and they're all delightful. He's a comedic genius, and I personally pissed him off once, which I feel bad about. Nice. How'd you do that? He all right. Quick side, you know, segue, but we got to fill our time. Um, so he came to Comedy Works, which is a comedy, a small comedy club in downtown Denver. But a lot of popular people come through there. Mm-hmm. And he was the first, like, high-level comedian I'd ever seen there. Um, and so I was enthusiastic and, you know, uh, oh, you were that kind, guy, of, you? Kind, of, kind of star, kind of starstruck. And we had great seats. I was, like, in the second row. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, like, because it's a small club, like, the, the audience sits, like, eight feet like the front yeah. rows you know just a handful of feet from him mm-hmm. so there's a lot of audience engagement mm-hmm. and like the way so i i'll preface this by saying i was 100 percent in the wrong this is not how you participate in a comedy show <laughs> you participate when called upon um but there's a lot of audience you know jokes happening and uh 
like you know so whatever he's there's there's some some crowd play and stuff and uh he is like oh man you guys are such a great crowd and like i just again wanting to be part of the fun i had said like oh that's because there's a two drink minimum and he just he drops like all of his like his patter and he just like deadpan and he looks right at me and he's like what do you mean and I was like, uh, 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 not, nothing. And he's like, no, 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 go on, finish that sentence. You know, that's every comedy club. It's two drinks. I'm like, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. And I, 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 so like I was trying to have fun and engage with, you know, the audience slash comedian, uh, exchange there. But what mm. it, what it is, is like, that's that. Uh, like he is, so he wasn't, he wasn't even like trying to sort of like engage. He was just like pissed off. Well, no, I think he did it in a funny way. He's like, mm. I thought it was because you guys liked me or something, uh, you know, like instead of the two drink minimum, like he was having fun. Mm. But the like when when a comedian's up there performing, anything that you say unvolunteered is mm. basically heckling. Yeah. And so he is primed from, dec- you know, years of doing this and hundreds of shows that when somebody yells shit in the audience, they're fucking with him. Yeah. So his his immediate impulse is to fuck back with lots of practice and win and totally <laughs> shut me down. And but because I wasn't trying to heckle, I just like immediately cowed and like, oh no, I'm really I'm sorry. sorry, I wasn't trying to do that. But I'm sorry. um I even tweeted at him later that night and apologized, but I didn't he didn't he never replied. So mm. <laughs> you know, right to to this day he it's, probably it's, still hates me, you know, personally. Oh, that one fucking guy in Denver. We saw him come back a year later, um, and he did his next show. That was the comeback kid. Uh and um he was talking about like one of his worst shows that he ever did. And I was like, he better not mention the last time he was here, but he did. So, um, it was, it was some other bit that he had a horse but, in the hospital. Right. Yeah. You got to find his third special on there. It is like, it's a very energetic one. I'll find the name of it later. Um, anyway. So, uh, yeah, that's my, my segue into John Mulaney. He's a, uh, funny comedian and, uh, I think a, a pretty chill dude. Um, okay. So, Back to the story, Harry's talking to Quirrell about it, and after he's after Quirrell sends the the centaur away, and he says, "Happy now," and Harry's mm-hmm. like, "He was trying to kill me." He's like, oh, for Merlin's sake! Yes, he was trying to kill you. Get used to it. <laughs> Only boring people never have that experience. Mm-hmm. And Harry's like, "But but why why would he want to?" And any number of reasons. I'd be lying if I said I'd never considered killing you myself. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's true. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. Actually, and now that you're saying that, it's like, oh, any number of reasons. Like, oh no, he knows. He knows the reason. Um, he knows very specifically what the reason was, and he's not saying. Interesting. Um, could be. Could be. Could be. So that kind of ends that scene. Yeah. Then um, we get a line break, and it's kind of like third person explaining where we're at. So. Yeah. Um. um and then what? So are we? We're like. Then back in Hogwarts, we're back in the castle at this point because then it's like Harry and Dumbledore talking. Um, yeah, and they it's like oh, and, bunch, and there's like this, the there's stories. like this, yeah, and there's like this third person kind of like uh, overview of like yes, the news of Draco Malfoy nearly being eaten by a horror had been sufficient to summon back Dumbledore from wherever he was, wake Lord uh, Malfoy and Lady Greengrass, and summon the um, the Board of Governors to like actually like get shit done in the middle mm-hmm. of the night because you know stuff's serious. And what ends up happening is Quirrell gets, or not Quirrell, um, Filch gets fired mm-hmm. because apparently Filch sent him, sent Draco into the woods with the intent, hope that he would be killed because he thought that his dad was uh, um, responsible for the death of his cat. <laughs> That's right. Oh, yeah, and there was a, and the, so thir- there, the third, the third John Mulaney special, Kid Gorgeous. <laughs> Kid, That's right. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, um, I had to, I had to get that out. 
homeless, I'm gay, I have AIDS, and I'm new in town. <laughs> that's the that's the punchline for the first one. That's where the name comes from. For new new in town. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So yeah. And then Harry and Dumbledore. Uh, Harry gets a little mansplaining again. Uh, so the one the line out there was kind of a good line uh, in general, but then it, the the there were like two levels to the conversation that came from it. But as so now, just having mentioned that that Filch was sacked, as the British would say. Um, what Dumbledore says to Harry is, do you believe, Headmaster Dumbledore said quietly to Harry, when all of it was done and the two of them alone, that the Hogwarts you have wrought is an improvement? Um, and Harry, uh, and I imagine probably a lot of people that read this too, only, only took this at, at the level that Harry um, took it at, which is Harry just totally engages it in a, um, like, oh no, you teachers are responsible and that fucker should have been fired because, you know, he was behaving recklessly and was endangering a student on purpose, blah, blah, blah. He gives a very Ayn Rand kind of quote about the uh, the purpose of a school is not to provide work for its employees. Um, so Harry's well, just Dumbledore engaged. comes back with the with like the the, the person centered view of because Harry is like yeah of course it's just great you know Filch sucked and he would like in addition to trying to get Draco killed he was also an asshole yeah. so yeah I think people will be happier and Dumbledore just says Argus Filch is a squib his work at Hogwarts is all he has had rather. And that's where Harry says the purpose of a school is not to provide work for its employees. Um, yeah, and so so which, like, so like, my I, my read I totally of all get this, both sides. Well, yeah, I you know I guess well yes, and I'm totally actually I, I'm probably even more in, like on the specifics of this. I'm probably even more on Harry's side. Like, like not it's one, except, it's, it's one like, of those situations what, where like pe- people have to like when there's when there's a like an ethical dilemma or a a hard choice, they can't just say like yes, we chose the best choice, which also is sad. They have to say it's the best and there's no downsides. Like yeah. that's, that's the usual okay, default, right? So like, right? yeah, the, the so two like, levels what, of- what happened here yeah. is like, it's a bummer. This was Filch's like only attachment to the magical world. He's not going to have his, like this, this was all he had. And like, that's sad. It is a sad fact. And it was probably good that he was fired. You can, you can yeah. have both. Yeah. And my, like, like the two levels thing that I, read this on is like i'm basically on the specifics i'm totally like on harry's side uh in terms of that but t- to me it was like like harry when someone doubles or says like are you happy with with the hogwarts that you have that you've made right now um and harry only engaged it on that kind of literal sense and he's totally right on that literal sense but like the kind of the deeper level question that i heard dumbledore asking was look how fucked up shit has gotten here and it's not necessarily all your fault, but it's certainly not not your fault. Uh, and we're all in the middle of this shit because of your unilateral decision about everything that needs to be happening right now. Um, and, you know, so you you flip the table over and everything has gone to shit. And maybe you're not wrong, but do you feel good about this? Um, that yeah, was sort of like, the, making... and Harry's like not engaging that question at all. That, that's a good um, point. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't think about it in that, like, yeah, are you happy with the Hogwarts that yeah, you brought? Yeah, we're, um, we're all having like, the moral dilemma that the boy who lived decided we should all be having, whether or not we wanted to or not. And, okay. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I'll push back and say that he hasn't flipped over the table and made things necessarily worse. Like, things might actually be better right now, because now people are, you know, there's actually account- there's actual accountability. Yeah. You know, bad people are being fired, etc. But he did flip over the table, so he still has, you know... Are you happy with the changes you've brought? Like, 
you know, and like you you were mentioning before, I think this come up as kind of a, a motif of like this. Well, not a, mo- a motif might be the wrong word, but this has happened a number of times. You know, Harry's unilateral decisions to change things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for good or bad, um, I think this make it a good bumper sticker. And it's an original Yudkowsky. I think of not every change is an improvement, but every improvement is necessarily a change. Mm-hmm. And so like you can't do better if you can't do different. Um, like, but what, what Dumbledore's asking is like, all right, cool. So you flip things over and have changed things. Uh, how do you feel about all this? And he, yeah. he doesn't, he doesn't answer that part. He just says, oh yeah, I think it's great that he was fired. Fuck that guy. Yeah. Which fair. Yeah. He, he, only engages, he, yeah he only engages it on that superficial level. Um, yeah. Not the, I think it's like, okay, yeah, this is all better. And uh, thanks for consulting us. <laughs> Which is right, like yeah. pr- pretty much what Hermione like, you know, said with the, um, the big fight in the hallway thing was like can you, you know, please ask me yeah. about my life yeah yeah beforehand um but the and so then Dumbledore then right after this Dumbledore does a little bit kind of say this a little a little bit the same so the, the quote I pulled about it was um so what Harry says to Dumbledore in talking about all this and he's getting very mansplaining again I says your mistake Harry said looking down at his knees feeling at least 10 percent as exhausted as he had ever been is a cognitive bias we would call in the trade scope insensitivity failure to multiply you're thinking about how happy Mr. Hagrid would be when he heard the news consider the next 10 years and a thousand students taking magical creatures and 10 percent of them being scalded by ashwinders no one student would be hurt as much as Mr. Hagrid would be happy but there'd be a hundred students being hurt and only one happy teacher Perhaps, the old wizard said, and your own error, Harry, is that you do not feel the pain of those you hurt once you've done your multiplication. Um, and I think and that's like, and, and if I, I, I stopped quoting it, but Harry basically like doesn't respond to that, does he? No, he does. Like a, um, it, to it's, that part it's awesome. of it, to the... I think so. I'll, I mean, at least a bit. So there's, uh, and right before that too, uh, Dumbledore asks him, he says, you, you truly, or you don't care at all, do you, Harry, about those you hurt? And like, so this is just to set up kind of the thing again, you know, like Harry's uh, thing here is like, yes, you know, look, once you do the math, like it's obvious that this is the right decision. And uh, Dumbledore says, yeah, maybe, but you don't feel the pain of those you've hurt once you've done the math. And then Harry looks, he says he, he was staring at his knees. He says, maybe, or maybe it's worse than that. Headmaster, what does it mean if a centaur doesn't like me? And then in print or in uh, italics, he says, "What does it mean if a member of a race of magical creatures known for divination gives you a lecture about people who are ignorant of consequences, apologizes, and then tries to stab you?" Mm-hmm. Um, well, yeah, but so like Harry's run off to the specifics of the thing that was going on, but he doesn't he doesn't like answer that question about like you know how, how do you reconcile the consequences of your ethical math at the end. I think he he's giving it some thought in his answer of maybe he doesn't say headmaster I've done the math and I feel good about whatever conclusion I come to you know because this is the the right thing to do mm-hmm. he, he in my reading maybe I'm charitable but I don't think I'm being unfairly charitable his answer of maybe is not it, it's not him saying no it's not him arguing oh, he's, he's just like, like oh, he's yeah, just like yeah maybe maybe you're right like I I maybe that is a problem that I have and. That, that's how I write it anyway. Like, yeah, um, I can see that. Yeah. And then uh, Dumbledore, he says, a centaur. When did you, ah, the time turner. You're the reason I couldn't travel back before the event on pain of paradox. And he's like, oh, yeah, my bad. Time travel, you know. Oh, we didn't talk about the, the awesome time travel in this. So, but, because uh, there was at least two incidences of it. Um, mm-hmm. 
Harry, Harry, you know, doubles down and he's there twice. Uh, but the reason that they were able to arrive at exactly one second after the 10 minute check-in is because uh, Harry had, you know, asked, like, can we go back to, you know, before the check-in and just like be there on time? But apparently there are procedures for time travel Rules. with the ministry. So they show up exactly one second after mm-hmm. because they all use time turners, which is fucking awesome. <laughs> and uh, so he says, um, he says, well, with very few exceptions, centaurs don't like wizards at all. Well, this was a bit more specific than that. <laughs> and he says, what did the centaur say to you? And Harry doesn't reply. Mm-hmm. And Dumbledore says, uh, centaurs have been wrong many times. And if there's anyone in the world who can confuse the stars themselves, it is you. And he says, do not fret too much about it. Which, it, I mean, I don't know what to read into there, but that is yeah. a very non-taking thing seriously answer from yeah. Albus. Yeah, you like, and how many other times, like, how many things were significantly different because of Harry feeling like he couldn't tell something to Dumbledore, um, which you know maybe a lot of time he's correct in thinking he couldn't say something to Dumbledore. But this is again like a thing like would have been a much different response here if if Dumbledore knew the entire reason for Harry being worried about uh, the centaur. I get the I my you know and this isn't like textually confirmed, but I I sort of get the impression because. Uh, it says, because Harry doesn't reply when he says, what did the centaur say? And then Dumbledore says, ah, the headmaster hesitated. Eh, centaurs have been wrong before. You know, if the stars mm-hmm. confuse somebody, it's it's probably, you know, if, the, if anyone can confuse the stars, it's you. I get the impression that Dumbledore kind of guessed. Um, yeah, yeah, especially that line about do not fret too much about it. I read it's like, yeah, I actually probably totally should. <laughs> but, right. But also, like, like, if anyone could confuse the stars themselves, it would be you. You know, because he yeah. knows about how centaurs mm-hmm. probably do divination. And uh, I don't know. I think I think Dumbledore's, Dumbledore knows more than he's letting on. Yeah. But it's also not being helpful when he just says, you know, some person with, with, with the ability to see the future says they should murder you. Yeah, you know, and uh, don't, don't sweat it's it. Fine. It's no biggie. It's fine. It's yeah. fine. I don't know, Dumbledore. You got my eyebrows raised. <laughs> All right. And with that, we move on to... Chapter 102, Caring, Caring, which it gives the date for this, which I, I want to double check. So the last chapters, the date of the last chapter, last two was May 13th. And this one is June 3rd. So we're looking it's at like three weeks. weeks later, things are coming along. And this is like the end of the school year. I'm not sure when school exactly ends, but it is in June. Um, and so uh, the other thing to keep in mind for this one is that like the, the fandom reading along live had the pleasure of waiting like seven months for this chapter to come out. Uh, 101 came out December 12th, 2013. This chapter came out July 26th, 2014. So we got to wait for a very long time. And then the first opening line, especially because things were like left very like unresolved and ominous. Yeah. So then we, we open up after, you know, more than half a year of waiting to professor Quirrell was very sick and, this is where we kind of get the, um, the the background and all the shit that that's mm-hmm. gone on. Um, he did a little better after his, uh, you know, unicorn. But then six days before this, apparently, I guess at the end of May, he collapsed at dinner, and Madame Pomfrey was like, "You got to stop teaching. You're going to spend time in bed." And he shouted at her in front of everybody that he was dying regardless, and he used his remaining time as he chose, and. So now he basically lives in the infirmary. He doesn't sit at the head table during mealtimes. And he doesn't cast spells during lessons. And he's got like seven-year seven uh, students are like being his TAs, basically. Yeah. 
So he just, he kind of proctors the lesson is just sitting there in his chair. Yeah. That's right. Like my whole read of all of this going on. So there's this definitely this like inconsistent bit of data that Harry says like, okay, the sense of foreboding is lessening. But like every other part of me reading this is just like, nope, don't believe it. It's all an act. Uh, and maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. But like, that's still like, my baseline on this is like, yeah, no, this is all theater. To what end? To what I said, like, yeah, I think exactly. about it in lawyer okay. terms. Uh, to, yeah. Okay. To, well, to what end he's, yeah. So I hadn't thought that through entirely. So it would be. I do like to, his general premise of like, it's the professor. He's fucking with he's, us. He's but, fucking with us. It seems. You but know, is it purposeless it's, or is, it's, does he have a goal? Oh, here? it's always got a purpose. You just don't know. Yeah. So yeah. Um, so it would definitely, so it's gonna, so I guess it would be partially to make himself seem harmless when he's not to get some sympathy from Harry to try to manipulate him into doing something for him. Um, and yeah, so, so it's, yeah, it's still lacking specifics, but um, a big one though is like, yeah, if uh, not that just, I'm saying that a lot, if he looks like he's dying, that makes him seem a lot less threatening. And so he'll be able to like sneak into something um, like guard will be let down for something especially if like uh people are you know wisely defending themselves against a dude who's clearly like uh you know the among the top three most powerful wizards in the world um if he suddenly doesn't look like he's nearly as threatening as he was then you know precautions that should be made would start start to be letting slip um makes it a long con because he's been you know, six at the beginning of the year. Oh yeah, but yeah. Th- 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 but you know, a long con that's very quarrel. So to- totally, yeah. I'm just I, I was giving it props. Not yeah. that, that's not a, uh, a, a complexity penalty. That's just <laughs> a you know thinking ahead perk or prop. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, so let's see. There's yeah. there's a little bit of an aside here that I you know it's worth getting your your read on. I guess um, Harry had been thinking about Trelawney's prophecy about born to those who thrice defied him. And he's like, I wonder if that just means actually death, because that seems to invoke the Peveril brothers and the three Deathly Hallows. But he didn't see how death could have marked him as an equal. Um, yeah, that part, it, it didn't ping for me either. It seemed like, okay, that doesn't really fit. Yeah, but I do like how he's just, you know, trying to think outside the box. Yeah. And, you know, because, like, that's that's the thing is, you know, Harry's read enough books with prophecies, and he was told uh-huh. by Albus goddamn Gandalf Dumbledore that prophecies are, are tricky and, uh, you know, a opaque even once you've heard them so he's like all right let's think about this other ways and they're exactly the kind of thing you need to bring your lawyer to right and your 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 lawyers will be helpless in the face (laughs) of confusing words so um because it's like how do you interpret you know if if it could loosely imply death itself and this particular dark lord and whatever Mm -hmm. um all that fun stuff so anyway um there's there, this is a nice kind of like transition too so um it's like well i'll just read it and then explain what's going on there was nothing harry could do madame pomfrey was already doing for, for for professor quarrel what magic could do and magic seemed strictly strictly superior to muggle techniques when it came to healing there was nothing harry could do nothing he could do nothing nothing at all and those last four sentences are all on their own line mm-hmm. and it just delivered that way kind of just gives this like helpless like like his brain keeps you know, on his like there's got to be something i could do there's nothing but there's got to be something yeah. no there's nothing 
Yeah. And he does. I like, he, like he comes up with something, something. Yeah. Exactly. Like this desperation of like, I have to be able to help. I, I, I yeah. can't just sit idly by. And uh, his thinking outside the box here, um, bringing in some sort of help is actually kind of cool. Uh, if also kind of chilling. Um, but we'll get to that because we get a light oh, break yeah. and it's Harry going to the hospital to visit or the infirmary is yeah. still in Hogwarts to go visit Quirrell. Yeah, and like, um, and, there's like a, and Quirrell does seem different. So the one thing we see is like Quirrell's reading a physics textbook, um, and like what he what he says to um, he, what he says to Harry is that he felt uh, did I pull the quote exactly? I didn't pull it exactly, but just that like he felt foolish for for always being so dismissive of you know Muggle science, thinking that there was nothing of any value um, there, and so that like so now he's reading you know Muggle physics. Um, is just and it's, it seems like you know in earnest like legit wanting to start to learn stuff that he's decided like oh actually this is valuable for me to know um, it was kind of like it was a very kind of new coral vibe of him like admitting is like oh you know what I shouldn't have been so dismissive this whole time so now I'm trying to fix that yeah I like that and that's definitely the nice reading it's like of the it. most I mean, rationalist thing he's done the whole book <laughs> right but I, I'm amazed he didn't come here. The, the other the other side of that is this is exactly what he would say to Harry if he's trying to cozy up even closer, mm. right? Like, oh my God, <laughs> physics is awesome. Harry, you're right. This is so cool. I, I, I'm supposed to be the one that would say that. We, yeah, we that's what I'm surprised. Yeah. yeah, he says, why did I assume the muggle arts must not be mine, oh, that they would be of no use to me? Why did I never bother trying to test it experimentally, as he would say? In case yeah, that's fun. I wonder, wrong. what is that about that? Because like, I'm totally suspicious of everything else. Uh, with Quirrell and all of this, but for some reason, him saying that I read as actually sincere, like probably ultimately not going to matter, but that like he really that he meant that when he did say that, which is funny. So I wonder I, why I wonder why I believe that and not any of the other shit he's saying. <laughs> I I don't know. I like it. I, I believe it too because it, it's kind of fun. Like in the first uh, when Harry's talking with Draco at at uh, platform nine and three quarters. Um, when Draco gives him his, you know, blood purism, Death Eater spiel, mm-hmm. he says, you know, our wands will break and be left scrounging in the dirt like the muggles. And Harry's like, well, we're not scrounging in the dirt. We're flying to the moon and, you know, doing mm-hmm. all this cool shit. And, uh, like, I think that that is the, like, background that most muggles or that, that most wizards have with muggles. Although mm-hmm. Quirrell is better traveled, you know, yeah. than Draco and Draco's dad for sure. Um, but, yeah, just the, I don't know, it... I can't imagine what it would be like. You know, you've already got all this power. You know, you can do magic. You can you can teleport. You can lift things with with a word. All this all the stuff that technology can do. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you read that like, oh wow, without magic, they're doing all this cool shit. And like they're doing yeah. it in a way that you know, again, this is a physics textbook. This isn't even just a book on the history of technology, right? This yeah, did we get like, at some point like? Wasn't it dropped at some point that, like, no wizard has ever stood on the surface of the moon? Which should be totally yeah. within a wizard's ability. You should just be able to like. Some, you know, Eris Bubbleus teleportus to the moonus. Like that should just be a yeah. totally done deal. But yeah. It it either makes it so that means that either no one's bothered to try or it's actually harder than it sounds. Mm-hmm. Um I can't see really why it would be harder than it sounds. Like you said, Shouldn't I mean think. whatever. A, a a bubblehead charm for air, a heating charm to keep the cold off, and I think Draco says that you can't apparate to somewhere you haven't been, but they could like, fly. so whatever. Yeah, you can fucking fly. I mean, I'm not sure what the upper speed limit of a broomstick is, but even if you have to take a broomstick, uh, exactly. I don't know. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, 
So you just got you know uh, Hogwarts just needs a copy of Kerbal Space Program, and I would uh, I would read that fan fiction. <laughs> uh, yes. So Harry wordlessly just takes out like a handkerchief and unfolds mm-hmm. it to show a smooth white pebble, and he says it's a transfigured unicorn um, that he's hoping will give Quirrellsome you know time and strength. Uh, to have we, so he, and what have we done? Because we had talked about this with the, um, the like the very first transfiguration classes and stuff. And what I'm remembering is something about like inanimate objects being turned into pigs or pigs being turned into inanimate objects. And I can't remember which way it went. Um, but like, was one harder than the other? Because what I'm getting at, like he's about to get here. Uh, what does Quirrell say? Um, that a unicorn in transfigured form did not set off the Hogwarts wards. And I'm like, aha, fucking trolls. That's how you did that. Um, but maybe like, I'm like, okay, how does that work? Is it just as easy to, to keep a living thing transfigured into a non-living thing as it was for Harry to keep his rock transfigured into a smaller rock? So I think during the first lecture on transfiguration, um, which we're now realizing has all these, again, he brought all his lawyers to those because it's a mm-hmm. lot of fun to talk about all the implications of it later. Yeah. Um, let's see. Transfiguring a living thing into a solid thing, um, I guess, like, well, like, it'll make it not register as a unicorn anymore and presumably a troll. Maybe you're right. Um, but the it's, it's fatal. Um, like, you can turn back. But like by that time, since there's been some molecular shifting going on within the solid object, mm-hmm. you'll you'll turn back into a horse. But your atoms won't be quite where they were, and you'll die within a few hours. Um, oh, so, so like so, this, would, so that's okay. So it would still be a unicorn. It would be a unicorn with only an hour to live. But that's fine for those purposes. Yeah, I guess that would also be fine for a troll. But that seems kind of contrived. So I don't know if I'm happy with that theory anymore. Because you would think like, oh, if you know, something that's going to kill you in an hour or two, then you're probably not going to wake up feeling all chipper and feeling like eating schoolgirls. <laughs> so. There, there is there was a lecture on trolls in the first battle magic lesson. If you feel like skimming back to that at some point, uh, uh, that might add some depth to that. Okay, uh, might might add something to think about with that theory. Um, oh, because they're like self healing, right? Like they're. They reheal themselves all the time, so maybe they they would like survive the whole transfiguration thing better than most. They mm. reheal, and I think specifically the phrasing was because they are constantly transfiguring into their own body. Yeah. And so, like, so I'm big, but what this I'm says to me is a couple theory. of things. One, it would either resist being transfigured into something else because it's constantly transfiguring into itself. So if you tried mm. to turn it into a pebble, it would just blow back up into a troll. Um, but it might also mean that Unless it's immune from transfiguration sickness. Uh, you mean for tra- yeah. Oh, yeah, or say, yeah, it's immune from transfiguration sickness, but it's really hard to transfigure a troll, so you'd have to be somebody like Coral in order to pull it off. Could well be. There you go. I mean, that's, I'm liking that theory a lot more then. Well, I, I'm glad to have um, thrown something back, in, back, <laughs> into, back into your case. Um, but yeah, so, but because what Coral says is like, oh, you're lucky. And, and yeah, now that we're saying this, this is like not, that was not at all a necessary piece of information to tell us, uh, except that it would be uh, important later. But yeah, because what Coral says is like, oh, you're lucky that, uh, that by transfiguring the unicorn into a pebble, that it didn't set off the wards. I think we probably could have been totally fine with plot devices to have had the Hogwarts wards not concerned about unicorns from the forest showing up on inside the school grounds. I wouldn't have had any problem at all not worrying about that as being an issue. 
um, so pointing. I that think out. that there's there's constantly wards for uh, an unknown creature has entered the school. Yeah, um, yeah you can play it off. It's like, like oh, when, yeah, sure, there's unicorns nearby all the time. Not a problem. But I think entering the castle, like when uh, the uh, the phoenix showed up for Harry, Dumbledore shows up because he sensed a, a magical mm. creature approaching the school. I get you. Oh yeah, um, and, a, and a unicorn's not just like a pig. It, yeah, it's, it's a magic horse, but and so so is a troll is also a magical creature. So like it would yeah. also register on the radar, right? So that's that's another kind of suspicious thing about that is it would set off the wards too. But um, when trans, it's definitely a mystery to so, get unraveled there. Yeah, so then that sort of like playing that through, then like okay, it was like Quirrell just walking around with a troll on his keychain the whole time, and like how long did he have that troll on his keychain? Because he's just fucking Quirrell and he can do whatever he wants. Maybe maybe that's the. Maybe that's the troll he picked up in Tibet in 1973 and was just, you know, keeping it around just in case he ever needed one. Just in case. I mm-hmm. love it. That reminds me of uh, Ant-Man 2 where uh, Hank Pym has a tank on his keychain. Has tank? What? A tank. Oh, like, a tank. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. like the war yeah, yeah. vehicle. Yeah. <laughs> and it, he, he carries it, you know, with his house keys in the event that he ever needs to turn it back into a real tank. He's just got one in his fucking do. pocket. Case you ever do. It's pretty fun. Yeah. Um, so th- this is the kind of chilling part that, you know, and it's, again, if you bring in Peter Singer, he'd probably say you're doing the right thing, but it's still um, a, it, it's still, I don't know. Here, so here's the thing. Harry uh, thinks about going into the woods to go get one. And he's like, okay, well, they, all the, all these sentient magical creatures like goblins, elves, Vila, I don't think we ever see elves. I think that's just thrown in there for fun. Um, yeah. They're all human. See, They're all. Do we ever see elves in the ori- in the original books either? I don't think so. I don't think we do. Uh, maybe Harry's just elves. assuming they exist because magic is real. Sure. <laughs> uh, orcs. There should be orcs too. Right. Orcs, dwarves, uh, merfolk, etc. Merfolk. Um, but he's like all of those beholders. Like so, he's thinking they you know these are probably just definitely magical horses. Um, but then there's this line where he says uh, it still felt like murder when he fed the sleeping potion laced sugar cubes to the horse. Uh, so it would, you know, pass out in front of him mm-hmm. so he could turn it into a cube or turn it into a, a, a pebble. And, uh, you know, again, Peter Singer would be fine with it. Um, and therefore Harry can square it ethically. And I hope like none of that is like none of that is at all different than he, you know, fed a sugar cube to the cow that he wanted to eat for dinner that night. Exactly, like, and but but it but unless we were going like, to say that like oh unicorns are smart you know unicorns are you know more aware than a cow but I don't think we it didn't sound like it was that no all. yeah Harry tried to check and see if they were at all smart and they didn't mm-hmm. seem to be from anything he could read or anything he could discern from interacting with one but it was just the uh, the idea of like okay well and well I mean most of us too don't want to kill our own cows so like he yeah. goes up to it and he he gives it a drug to pass it out and then he 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 doesn't kill it exactly but he gives it to you know turns it into a pebble and when Quirrell says i yeah Quirrell says i forbid you from doing that again and he says i wondered if you'd say that but this unicorn is is already doomed so you might as well take it um like he is he has essentially killed this thing yeah Um, that's what i would like is is this what makes me a very not rationalist person is because like my approach to that would be a very you know intuitive not at all thought out a lot at all just going like okay you're killing a horse to save somebody does that feel okay sure and like you could like think about it more be like okay let's go dig into that more is that okay with the ethics of is it magic blah 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 but it is just sort of like a gut check in the beginning it's like is that okay you're like yeah you know it's kind of icky to like kill a thing but you kind of needed to and it's the same as eating an animal anyway so yeah okay sure 
Like, yeah, that's I, I that's know. like ninety percent of my life operates that way. <laughs> and I think that's, that, that's how basically most of us do it. You know, we settle on some sort of intuitive ethical framework and just run mm-hmm. with it. You know, unless you're a hobbyist ethicist like, or that philosopher, feel like icky, right? And you know that the there is something to be said about like your your filter at some point should be better than like quote feeling icky. Um, yeah. there, there's actually a great uh, essay by Peter Singer, which if you just read the text, it seems to be arguing in favor of like uh, bestiality. Um, <laughs> The, the essay is called Heavy Petting, which is a hilarious uh, nice. title. Um, but he's not, I mean, so the, the essay is on its face arguing in favor of bestiality, but knowing Peter Singer, that's not what he's arguing for. What he's actually doing is he's demonstrating that yuck isn't an ethical argument, mm-hmm. um, that you need to have something better than that. Because like yuck is the same bullshit logic people used to use to say, you know, homosexuality is wrong because watching two dudes kiss is, mm-hmm. you know, yucky, right? Like yuck is a bullshit argument. So that that's that's what he's doing with with that. And like I'm not sure if if my level of interest in ethics is uh like the baseline for the rationalist community as a whole, but um it is something to think about. Like, you know, if if there was another way, if you could feed you know, if you could eat non sentient grass instead of a dog, you should do that instead, right? Like yeah. you know, it, it but you know, it whatever it is, it the the other thing is just like unicorns among nothing else, they at least seem rare and cool and magical. You know, like if, if you had to eat a Bengal tiger to, to <laughs> stave off death for a few months, um, you can make a compelling case so that you should, even if there's only like 1,500 left uh, left on Earth, right? But it, yeah, um, if you've got a Bengal tiger and a cow, you should probably pick the cow. Right. And if you've got yeah, a I guess tiger like, yeah, and a like, cow and sentient grass, you should eat the cow because the cow's eating sentient grass. Okay, yeah. And therefore a murderer... And so, exactly. fi- and so it was really, it's just justice right. at that point. Well, he doesn't know that it's a murderer, but you're still stopping more murders from happening, you know? <laughs> yes. Yeah, I guess, I mean, so it's like, yeah, probably like we're almost always just going with yuck as the way we make that decision. I guess it's just more like you should occasionally like refine your sense of yuck. Agreed. Like, like um, engage your frontal lobe to decide what yuck should and shouldn't be. But that probably most of the time it's still just going to be yuck is what you work with. But, but you yeah, have control I, over what triggers yuck. I think that that is how you grow ethically for sure. Um, so let's see. Yeah. The transfigured unicorn didn't set off the wards. Um, he says, I'll have to take it outside the wards to eat it because once it's back into being a unicorn, it'll set off the wards. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's see. Um, and Quirrell did say, so I didn't pull it as a quote, but um, it was kind of a, just a, like an interesting change of tone. Like when Quirrell uh, understands that Harry is like, basically, you know, stolen a unicorn for him to to eat he says like i forbid you to do that i think he says it in parcel tongue but he says something like i forbid you to do that again and it was kind I of an interesting English, but yeah it was yeah it's kind of an interesting sort of like a like normally out of place expression of like quarrel's concern for harry like like on behalf of harry because like my read of it was like you can't that's dangerous for you to have done i forbid you to do that again just for my benefit um so it's kind of an interesting take you know, and honestly, kind of like I, I, I don't know quite what to read it. I, it's almost kind of stupid. Like Harry can get away with it. I don't know how many. You know, he couldn't bring in thirty unicorns if there's only fifty in the forest. Yeah. Somebody had noticed, but like, it. You know, yeah. Thanks, Harry. I appreciate it. This will give me a few more, few more weeks or something. It's probably like again. It's probably theater again. Like oh, then I've got to you know come across as the kind of person that would selflessly forbid you from doing the thing that would save my life. But yeah, it was just a very sort of like it was a very contrasting kind of tone out of quarrel for how he would interact with harry or how he would uh how he would sort of like try to advocate for his own self-preservation 
Uh, which now having said that all, uh, they, uh, that's totally theater then. Cause it's totally not. Quirrell would totally be like, yeah, let's fucking murder all the unicorns. Um, but yeah, although again, you know, saying that like, because Quirrell regards, you know, in my completely whacked out hypothetical theory that Quirrell is Voldemort and so is Harry. Um, like Harry is the only other human on the planet that Quirrell gives a fuck about. Like that would be the only time that he'd be like, okay, you are risking yourself and you are not allowed to risk yourself. So I guess that's maybe why it, why it possibly came across as sincere because that's the only person that Quirrell would ever, you know, express a sincere concern for their well-being. Um, I can dig it. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I like what you're saying. Um, I don't have much else to add there other than, well, yeah, this this is the other, like, uh, I forget when he gets over to it, but, like, at some point he's, he's telling Quirrell, like, I have a strong preference for your life over your death. Like, that's why I care because... <laughs> He, he like Harry asks him, "Do you know of any way at all by which your life might be saved?" And he's like, "Why do you ask?" And it's like, "What do you mean? Why do I ask, <laughs> dipshit?" Um, but then instead of saying, "You know, that's a stupid question, Professor," he says, "There's a spell I heard of, a ritual." And then he says, "Be silent." And then he turns into a snake that also looks kind of like, you know, uh, dull and and motionless. Mm-hmm. Its head doesn't rise, and he just says, "Speak on." And uh, this is the. He asks him, like, I heard about a spell or about a ritual called Horcrux. Um, you know, it requires a death, but, you know, if you're dying in any case, maybe you can try and adapt the ritual uh, to try and make it a better spell so that you don't have to kill somebody for it. And um, this is uh, <laughs> the kind of funny thing. This is exactly, I think, what Harry said when he was hearing about this in the first place, which is like, this sounds like the stupidest fucking thing ever. Um, <laughs> what you're saying, like, all right, so I'm going to rip my soul apart. Why would I do that if I had a soul? And, uh, but because the Horcrux spell is apparently real, um, mm-hmm. which why wouldn't it be? Um, he said, Quirrell says, I've learned about that spell long ago, but it's meaningless. And his reasoning is that basically it's like doing a, a time machine backup on your computer. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, sure. I can save my, the state I was in at the beginning of June. But if I revert to that backup in a year, I've lost that year. And apparently, you also lose all your interdicted knowledge. Um, all, all the interdicted knowledge, or all interdicted knowledge that you had gained in the time in between. I think, or just all interdicted knowledge you ever would have had. I think all of it because it has to it has to stay between like in one living mind or something. And the Horcrux um, doesn't count. Okay, I guess I didn't pick up on that because because it, it did seem like like if it's just that it's a time machine backup as of that moment in time, like, okay, yeah, that's not perfect, but that's way better than not. I agree. Um, that's, that is way better than not. Like if, you know, if the iPad seven lets me do a backup of myself once a week, you can bet your ass I'll be doing it. Uh-huh. Um, but I guess if you, had, <laughs> if you had to do, you know, weekly murders in order to do that, I could see that could be a downside. But That would be a downside. Yeah. I wouldn't be willing to commit that much, you know, maybe a, uh, yeah. once every that five years. Yeah. Murder. That doesn't seem to be enough uh, to like shoot it down as a, as a, you know, solid strategy though. Like until something better comes along. It's, it's not useless. It's not perfect, but it's way better than nothing. Yeah. Let me see here about, um, oh yeah. So yes, you see also Merlin's interdict prevents powerful spells from passing through such a device since the device isn't truly alive. Oh, so so apparently all any, powerful inter- spells. Inter- any interdicted knowledge you have goes away. Which would be so weird. You have your memories. That's good, yeah. And you would remember but, casting spells that were interdicted. And, yeah, it seems yeah. Uh, But magic. Yeah, the lawyers, the lawyers would have a field day with that one. 
<laughs> I mean, at this point, the judge can just be like, order. This is magic. Fuck you guys. <laughs> magic. It's highly irregular, but I'll allow it. So you better be going somewhere with this, McCoy. <laughs> Um, um, then there, then there's this part that I don't know. Let's see if you pulled this out, so I don't feel bad for reading it. Uh, no, I'm, not really. I'm, I'm out so of he, this part's just like as almost like remember when Harry was having that thought with like him and David Monroe about like who could compete to be the most cliched mm-hmm. like protagonist. You know, David Monroe is avenging his family and his martial arts sensei, and Harry mm-hmm. is the orphan who you know is prophesized to avenge his you know whatever defeat the Dark Lord. Um, Harry says, can you give me the full recipe for this spell? There might be some way to improve on the flaws. Um, you know, some way to do it ethically, some way to improve the fidelity of the personality transfer, whatever. Um, and Quirrell says, you know, boy, I had thought to teach you everything, the seeds of all the secrets I knew from one living mind to another, so that later, when you found the right books, you'd be able to understand. I would have passed on my knowledge to you, my heir. We would have begun as soon as you asked, but you never asked. And it's like, mm-hmm. come on, man. That I don't know. That That's that, it, that always asking? felt like, yeah. yeah. If like, only don't, you'd don't give me that bullshit. Yeah. If only I'd asked. Like, no, that's not how this works. You could just fucking tell me what was I supposed to be like. <laughs> All right, you know, I'm ready to begin my my learning, Sensei. Like, no, fuck that. This just felt like such a fuck you to Harry. Sensei I don't says. know exactly what to read into this, but it's just like, come on. And Harry was like, wait, I was supposed to. I didn't know I was supposed to. Mm-hmm. And like. Come on. <laughs> well, and but because he goes on, was it before this? Or I think right after this, where he's basically like, "Yeah, I'm not going to teach you all this shit that I know." Um, even though, yeah, maybe I could. Like, it's I'm not dead yet, so I could start teaching you some of this. But um, what does he say? He's, uh, you see, whispered the professor. I dislike to sound cliched, Mister Potter, but the truth is, the arts called dark really are not good for a person in the end. Um, yeah. And again, I wasn't sure like how much to believe how much to believe whether or not he meant it when he said that but yeah what he's saying is like yeah i learned all this dark art shit and i've been telling you up to this point that like you know you should just be like above that black and white thinking and that this dark art stuff is important but now he's saying actually yeah maybe it's actually not so good and i'm not going to teach you because it's wrong and having said that i don't don't buy that as his reasoning but um, i I didn't think that he was saying because it's wrong i think he's like it's not good for you it's not it's not good for you yeah yeah Yeah, i guess yeah not even so much wrong but like but yeah yeah there's a the downside everybody talks to about this is true. Um, and I'm still not sure whether or not to believe him when he says that, but it's, uh, it felt believable. I'm, I'm more inclined to believe that he meant that than all the other bullshit he spouts. <laughs> um, Let's see. Then, yeah. then Harry asks him about the killing curse. Cause uh, he learned from Moody um, that you like, you need true hate to cast it. Like mm-hmm. not just like, uh, fuck this person, but I want this person dead for no other reason than killing them. And he's like, so tell me, like, how did you cast the killing curse at that R in Azkaban if you didn't, like, just want him dead? Because you told me you weren't trying to kill him. And this is where he lays out uh, that there's that there's a way, like, there's a certain frame of mind where it's possible to cast the killing curse as many times as you want without even really getting tired. Because what is deadlier than hate and flows without limit? And uh, Harry just says, I don't really care, um, which is like ba- basically the answer, the answer <laughs> yeah, is, is uh, uh, indifference or apathy, right? Yeah. Which, as he reflects when he's leaving, is like, that's both better and worse than learning that he wanted yeah. to kill that aura, that he's just so empty that like, 
literally that guy living or dying was, he was totally indifferent to it. Mm-hmm. Um, you'd almost rather learn that, you know, somebody, you know, if, there, if you knew somebody that if, if one of your friends tried to kill somebody, you would almost rather prefer that they did it because they really hated that person. They felt they deserved it mm-hmm. or something rather than like, you know, I just, I didn't care eh, if it looked it. or not and they were in my way. Yeah. 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 Um, Let's see. So... What else we got? Oh, of course. The, the big MacGuffin of the book, the Philosopher's Stone. Ah, yes. Yeah, because Harry's like, well, can you think of any? Yes. It's so like the way it's set up is so like teed up you know it's a softball pitch was there anything you could possibly think of and crow's like well i mean there is this one thing thing. uh there's a philosopher's stone quest (laughs) exactly (laughs) this is one thing but i mean it'll never work but you should and you should definitely not mention this to dumbledore at all because reasons uh yeah he says yeah the philosopher's stone and harry's like oh the philosopher's stone that sounded like complete bullshit and he's like well yeah it only sounds like bullshit because they made bullshit stories about it but it's still a real thing um i liked how i think i mentioned this before but it was just funny because when the philosopher's stone is first mentioned you're like yeah sure the same thing can make you immortal and make gold like that's obviously bullshit mm-hmm. and that was exactly harry's reasoning yeah like what this is just like a happy thought device that's you know <laughs> like this, this this is obviously bullshit um Yes, oh, yeah, they, and that's pretty much what Quirrell's, yeah, Quirrell's pretty much saying. It's like, yeah, that story is bullshit, but it's just bullshit to cover up for the fact that there's really something there. Um, but I, And what did he actually say, though? I mean, was he saying the whole... He's kind of vague about what it, what it really can do, though, isn't he? Yeah, he doesn't say what its true power is, just yeah. that there's something behind the legend. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and then he says, but... Uh, and then the part that, like, totally seemed sketchy was just like oh but you definitely shouldn't tell you know shouldn't ask Dumbledore anything about it because he's going to have believed all of these other vague I'm not going to tell you what I'm talking about you know things about what the Philosopher's Stone means and then he's going to misunderstand you um, so you just need to go try to find it but don't ask Dumbledore about it um, so, yeah I think that's and yeah. then he just leaves and then he sort of has his Harry like later then has his kind of um, introspective aha about indifference um, and what that means for an Avada Kedavra. Right. Um, and he's like, yep, I learned the secret to a spell I'll never be able to cast. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I'm trying to think if there's anything interesting about the Philosopher's Stone. I mean, it's worth mentioning that that was the MacGuffin of the first book. Um, they don't really talk about anything else. Like, yeah, other than don't ask the headmaster about it. Too many have sought the stone or sought the holder's lore. Do not ask, must not ask. Um, yeah, and I guess in the, what's in the original, I guess in the original, all we know is that like Voldemort wants the Philosopher's Stone because that's going to help him uh, bring himself back to life because he's stuck in the back of Quirrell's skull. Um, and then there's the whole magic uh, mirror of Erised thingy for how to get it. But that was just kind of a plot device for how we for how you would need to get it that didn't really have much to do with the importance of it and we know whatever this is is in that like weird hallway thing um or the third floor hallway or something so we know like this is all gonna end up over there at some point um yeah probably but i guess yeah we don't yeah we don't know much from the original about this other than what was kind of already there that like oh it's got some magical power that's important for trying to achieve immortality yeah. Um, and even though it's not, apparently here. not the same as the Deathly Hollow. Right. 
The resurrection stone is different. Different entirely. There's too many magic rocks. I know. You count Harry's pet rock, Harry's father's rock, the resurrection stone, and the philosopher's stone. The unicorn is a rock. Now possibly the troll was a rock, although the troll might have just been a Reese's Pieces. (laughs) Could have been anything. The the English version of the philosopher's stone was called the sorcerer's Sorcerer's stone, Stone. the book. Which, like, uh, no, the, the, English ver- the English version is Philosopher's Stone. The American version is Sorcerer's Stone. That's what I meant, yeah. yeah. Um, I guess the only thing we learn about the stone here is that, because uh, uh, Harry says, like, no, I read about it, but I concluded it was an obvious myth. Like, no reason why the same device mm-hmm. would provide immortality and endless gold, unless someone is just inventing happy stories. Not to mention, every sane person would have been researching ways to make more stones or kidnapping the maker to make more. I thought specifically of you. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, yeah, that's that's wise reasoning, but not wise enough. He says, true stone is not what legend says. True power is not what stories claim. Stone's supposed maker was not one who made it. The The speech here is all truncated like this because they're talking yeah. to snake speak. Yeah. Um, one who holds stone now was not born to the name now used. Yet mm. stone is powerful device of healing and truth. Um, but yeah, apparently the stone supposed maker was not the one who made it. Which makes that recipe like on the next page of the book bullshit. I remember that was a thing from Canada. So the whole, as well. so is um, is Flamel the guy that made the resurrection stone or that made the philosopher's stone? Philosopher's stone. Resurrection okay. stone was a Peveril Deathly Peveril, Okay. Yeah. All right. Which so now he's saying that, like apparently screen. apparently Flamel is not actually Flamel's name or Flamel goes by some other name now. Yes. So, who knows? So somebody on somebody in the script already is possibly Flamel. Quarrel. Yeah, probably not. Voldemort. Wait, Hagrid. Wait, Wait. Hag- uh, Snape. Uh, Professor wait, Sprout. Ludo Bagman. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> um, let's see. So yeah, Harry's. Uh, yeah, I guess walking back to his. Oh, he's going to the library to read about the Philosopher's Stone mm-hmm. while he's having all those thoughts about um, the Killing Curse and all that. So, I guess that's all I got for this one, man. Yeah. What about you? That that's all she wrote. Cool. Yeah. Well. In that case, uh, we will be back here next week, not for the next episodes. We're retroing. We are retroing with uh, Inyash and April, which I'm stoked on. That'll be cool. I'm already trying to think of some punny titles for that episode. It's a crossover episode. Yep. It's the more meta, we want meta more. More meta, yeah. We'll think of something. We want meta, meta, yeah. Something, something. All right. That'll be fun. That'll be cool. Well, well, well. All right. I think. Oh, it's a short episode. Yeah, it felt longer, but, you know, that's where we're at. That's only because you bored me. Yeah, yeah. So boring, (laughs) I guess. You know, I thought that having these all in there would give us enough to talk about, but I don't know. I mean, you know, whatever. Two hours is plenty. You guys have fun, so. Yeah, quicker. We'll we'll try and drag the retro on for as long as possible (laughs) until you guys just beg us to stop. We'll we'll talk about more uh, irrelevant things. That sounds like a plan. I'm sure we'll find plenty of random things to talk about, so. Join us back here next week for the retro episode, and, uh... If you have any, um, I don't know, feedback you want to give us, there's uh, the Bayesian Conspiracy Discord, there's hpmorpodcast.com, or, I mean, we set up that, like, whatever, Brian at Naval Place, like, I don't know, yeah, never forever ago, but I'm I'm not even sure if that we email address works. Uh, so. I think it did, yeah, no, we didn't, never, I think it actually does still, but sort of, I don't know. Yeah, best, yeah, oh, and also Reddit, that's probably, you know, I, I get occasional pings on the subreddit itself, or just DMs, so people, you know, can hit us up there too, so. If you want to participate in the conversation between episodes, it's happening in all those places. And with that, we'll see you next week. Hey, everybody.